Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. If you're new to the show, I'd like to say welcome. If you're a returning listener, I'd like to say welcome back. Before we get started, I'd just like to ask you a favor. If you're currently streaming this episode, would you mind stopping it and downloading the episode and then listening to it? It's a good way for me to keep track of the downloads. And to be honest with you, the more downloads I get, the more I get paid. I would really appreciate it if you wouldn't mind doing that. And maybe do it for all the content creators that you enjoy listening to. It's a great way for us to keep track of the downloads and put a little extra money in our pocket. So if I could ask you for one favor, that would be it. Now on to the show. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The pop drop, the pop right there goes right to King Blackson. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm-hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. Proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Joe Lazino. And welcome to episode 128. We're going off the island again, this time the finale, part two of my chat with Ken McRae. But first, if you are on social media and you'd like to connect with either me or the show, which technically, if you connect with the show, you're connecting with me. Uh, We are a one-man staff here. But either way, please scroll down to the episode description of this very episode, and you will see the links for Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Now, if you're new to social media, you might be wondering, what's Twitter? Well, what you call X is what we call Twitter. 
So uh, I'm not calling it X. Well, I shouldn't say that. Once Elon starts paying me, I will call it X. Until then, connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram via the links provided in the show notes below. You'll also find a link in there for Islanders A to Z. Now, if you're a regular listener, you know that Islanders A to Z is the children's book written by Joe Buono and illustrated by Long Island legendary artist Joe Marisich. And Joe is the artist who designed the logo for this podcast. And also, Joe is available for hire. So if you have any art projects that you are looking to get done, hit up Twitter, graph, at GraphicsJoker. Hit up Twitter. Um, I've screwed up twice already, but I had to edit the first one. So I'll leave this one in there. Hit up Joe on Twitter, at GraphicsJoker, or via the interwebs at loudegg.com. Now, as I said earlier, I am a proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network. I believe recently the network has gone over 100 shows. Like I said uh, in a previous episode, I think they added another Senators podcast. So uh, if we're not at 101 or 102, still at 100, I'm not too sure, but I'm very proud to be one of those shows. And uh, I got a couple of pals I'd like to tell you about. So I've dubbed us the Four Horsemen of Hockey Fight content on the network. And of course, we have to start at the beginning with the original gangsta, fourth line voice, my pal Darren up in Saskatchewan. Uh, He is up to episode 329. Wow. Yeah, 329, he gives you two episodes a week in his latest episode. Oh boy, did not disappoint. My favorite feature that he does, and he does uh, he does uh, player spotlights. He does a bunch of good ones, but for me, nothing beats my week on the internet. And it was Cranky Darren once again, and I loved it. He also has been dissecting the the hockey news. You know the hockey news. They love hockey fights, and they love the fighters. And uh, you know it's been that way for a long time. So. The Hockey News has recently uh, embarked on this project, and I don't think they did every team, but top five fighters for a lot of the teams, and Darren has been dissecting those a a couple at a time. And this week, I tell you, he did the Phoenix Coyotes, or the Arizona Coyotes, and the Colorado Avalanche. Now, Coyotes' list was, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. I would probably... Uh, have four of the five guys on the list that were on this person's list. Um, one of them I definitely wouldn't have, and I think you'll be able to figure it out if you listen. But um, the Avalanche list, oh boy. Um, I'm going to try to be as delicate as possible here. Uh, the list is fucking awful. Um, I, I don't know how old the lady uh, is that did that list, but I think she may have just been born a year or two ago and um, maybe accessed hockeyfights.com or something. Uh, but yeah, I posted it on Twitter. I'm listening to this list and the list is um, chill inducing, but the descriptions are uh, just cringe. I, I mean, listen, I, I know. I, I know my status here, okay? I'm not, I don't pretend to be anything I'm not. Uh, nobody is looking over their shoulders worried about me taking their job. Uh, I do this 
Uh, I have fun with it and I love doing it. So uh, if anyone wants to come at me, that's fine. <laughs> you know, this is what it is. What you see is what you get. What you hear is what you get. Uh, but that list, that abs list was uh, it cringe, cringe inducing is probably the best description. So uh, if for no other reason, I would definitely uh, give it a listen. If, if you were like, well, I don't know, I don't know, listen to it. Because then once you hear the melodic tones of Darren's voice, especially the ladies out there, you won't be able to get enough and you'll keep coming back for more. So uh, so definitely check out his latest episode in the entire back catalog. He's had some amazing guests. And uh, and I promise you, you will not be disappointed. So um, And he just had uh, Catelyn, Big Snake on. Catelyn was uh, one of the competitors uh, in their most recent Ice Wars, and that was a lot of fun to listen to. And um, I'm looking forward to, to hearing Cat more from Catelyn. I'm sure I'll have him back on again, maybe before the next event, if he's going to take part in that. So I would definitely, like I said, check out this episode. Check out all his episodes. Yeah, I, I defy you to be disappointed. Um, the next horseman, Alec. Five for Fighting podcast. Uh, I think Darren said he got a new car. I'm not. I'm not too sure. Alec really is a man of the world. He's he's never in one place for too long. Traveling man. He's on vacation. He's at concerts. He's everywhere. And uh, I'm hoping that soon he releases the episode where he uh, he took messages from the audience top five ECHL fighters. And of course, Alec will give you his top five. And I'm really looking forward to that as well. But I think he's a hard guy to pin down. Guy is all over the place. So, uh, But while you're waiting for that episode, check out his back catalog as well. His latest episode was with Wichita Thunder, Kelly Bent. So check that out, please. And like I said, great back catalog. And finally, the fourth horseman, five in a game podcast with Jordan. Well, now we are we are approaching the fall months. I know uh, summer turns to autumn very shortly here in September. And hopefully with that and the changing of the leaves, Jordan will head back to the Maritimes and uh, pump out some new episodes, some new content for the five in a game podcast. So in um, to wrap up this uh, little segment in a nice little bow, we got the four, uh, fourth line voice. I don't know why I'm tripping over my words today. Uh, Five for Fighting podcast and the Five in a Game podcast, all members of the Hockey Podcast Network, three of the four horsemen, and please also check out the corresponding YouTube channels for each of those shows. Don't search for mine. It does not exist. As I said, I think the biggest deal on the network is Terry Ryan. Uh, Terry recently was in Buffalo. He may still be there. Maybe he's heading home today for uh, ball hockey championships. And uh, his last two episodes were solo episodes. Still great stuff. But uh, an episode or so ago, he rattled off a list of guests that he's coming on, at, well, will have coming on soon. And uh, there's some pretty big names on there. So keep an eye on that, as well as... If you're in Canada later this month, season two of Shorzy will be out. And um, I have to wait until October unless I can uh, get this fire stick working here and maybe I can somehow manage to get Crave on there. But Terry's doing some big things and uh, and I love to hear it. 
Uh, if you're a regular listener, you know that I do collect game used gear. Uh, this week was a pretty big week for me. Earlier in the week, I got uh, acquired a Frankie the Animal by Lois stick, which I mentioned the last episode. And then uh, two days ago, I got a stick from Booter, Daryl Bootland. Uh, I have not seen either one of those guys have sticks available out there, and I just happened to come across both of them last week. I needed a Frankie the Animal twig. I needed a Booter twig, so uh, that's two more guys I can cross off the list. If you have any game-used gear from any Enforcer, uh, I like most of them, and I may be interested in adding them to my collection. So if you have something you're interested in getting rid of or trading uh, or whatever, just... uh, reach out to me, send me a message, and maybe we can work something out. Today's guest, uh, Ken McRae, as I said for part one, I'm fortunate enough to have one of his sticks from his time with Phoenix and also one of his practice jerseys from his time with the Quebec Nordiques. So uh, so if you have anything that you think you might be willing to part with, send me a message. Um, running out of room down here in the basement, but I can always find a corner or something somewhere to display something. So uh, please do not hesitate to reach out to me. So as I said earlier, this is part two of my chat with Ken McRae. This is uh, another interview from the now dead and buried Nordiques Knuckles podcast. And uh, I'd like, uh, fuck, I wish I would stop saying, like I said, it's pretty annoying and maybe you didn't notice, but now you'll, now you can't help but notice. Um, I wanted to transfer those Nordics knuckles interviews over to this show just so they will, uh, will stay around. And, uh, I did four interviews over there with the, uh, part two today that will conclude the Ken McRae episodes. And, uh, I'll have two more to go that I'll add at some point. Now this week I have an interview with a good friend of mine. Um, he's, uh, British fans will know him. They know him already. Um, and actually, now that they think about it, the next two interviews that I do will be with players who have spent some time in Britain. So um, I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag because you never know. Anything can happen. But uh, these two guys I feel pretty confident in. Um, I think we'll get them done. And um, and I'm sure that you guys will enjoy them. Uh, both really good, good guys and uh, some pretty big personalities. And uh, I'm expecting lots of laughs, to be honest with you. I think uh, I've known both of these guys quite a, quite a while. And uh, I think we'll have, uh, we'll have some really great stories. Well, they'll tell the great stories, but I'd also plan on hearing, uh, hearing lots of laughs. So um, I'm recording this uh, intro. Today is Labor Day. I hope everybody had a great Labor Day weekend. I hope you spent it with friends and family, maybe cracked open a few beers, grilled some steaks, um, you know, just had, had a fun time because it's back to work tomorrow. So until then, I hope that you all enjoy part two of the conversation that I had with Ken McRae. Uh, you know, folks, as I sit back and I think about uh, scrolling Twitter today, I don't know how it is by you guys, but uh, here in New York, the world gets crazier by the day. So um, I implore you, Please, wherever you are out there, everybody, I hope that you people stay safe. College football fans, are you ready for week one? DraftKings Sportsbook is hooking you up with a can't-miss offer to start the season strong. This week, new customers can bet just $5 on college football and score $200 in bonus bets instantly. Anything can happen in college football. Your team can go from unranked to dynasty mode in just a couple of years. Change comes fast. 
The only thing that's a lock is the great offers from DraftKings Sportsbook. Life's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code THPN. New customers can score $200 in bonus bets instantly when they bet just $5 on college football. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. See dkng.com slash football for eligibility, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Going into the following season, uh, there was a pretty big change. Uh, Michelle Bergeron was replaced by Dave Chambers. Now, I know that this change was not beneficial for a lot of people. Uh, I don't, I, I've never discussed this with you. Um, just seeing how the season went the following season, I'm guessing maybe this change wasn't really good for you either. No, it wasn't. Uh, you know, I went in and, and I think I started the year there and come back 12 games. Wasn't getting, you know, I had zeros across the board. I'd come off a full season. Um, you know, I thought I thought I deserved a little bit better fate, just like a lot of guys did. He, there was a lot of movement out of that team. Um, he was bringing a new coach coming in to bring his own, uh, you know, his own way in, I guess. And and I, I ran into Dave after that. No hard feelings. I understand what it is. I coached the game for 12 years after I finished playing, so I know you got tough decisions to make. But, you know, I think it was one of those things that, frustrating to get sent down and then um, you know back down to Halifax and they kind of have to start start back over again uh, and the miners and start working your way back up uh one uh, one of the younger players that debuted this season uh was Owen Nolan and uh Owen Nolan I, I think I've, I've said it to Trevor where you have a guy like Joe Sackick it's kind of like watching a symphony and then you bring in a young Owen Nolan it's got to be like a heavy metal concert what was uh what were your impressions of young Owen Nolan well, like I said, it was he was he was a big, strong, tough guy, and and Owen, uh, you know, uh, played for the Cornwall Royals and Junior back in my my area, close to my hometown. So I knew a little bit about him coming up, and and uh, like I said he's a great guy. Um, you know, like I said, I only had to play with him a short stint, but uh, like you say, he had kind of it all: toughness. Yeah. He could bring the toughness. He could score. He could hit. He could do everything, and. And, you know, and, and that's what happens. Guys like that come up and it squeezes the next guys out a little bit. And then you got to, you got to, you know, try and try and work your way back up. But, um, you know, I felt, uh, you know, as I'm sure a lot of people did that year, they felt they could have played on that team. Um, but new coach, uh, new systems, new, new everything. So, you know, change happens and that's the way sports goes, right? So. Now I see that um, I have you listed. You had uh, three fights in the exhibition games. You had three fights in the regular season, um, and then you, it was all of October. You know, September in the camp, October regular season. You play one game in November, then you get sent down to Halifax. Um, as that month is going on, is anything said to you, or do you kind of have? Are you kind of? I don't want to say perceptive enough. Like, do you? Is there like an ominous feeling? Uh, during that month that things are not going well? Well, I think, 
I, I can't if I, I can't recall totally back then, but I'm trying to remember if we were still in the hotel. Usually if you're still in the hotel and you haven't got a place, um, you know, chances are that you're you're not, you know, not that was the old thing. If you're told to get a place, you're kind of in the lineup. And if I recall correctly, you might have still been in a hotel at that point. Um, you know, I think just the lack of ice time and, and where you were, what we were seeing happening and, and bringing in some new guys, obviously, you get that feeling, but you, you still play hard yeah. every night. You want to not let that happen. But um, you definitely, any player that tells you they, they don't feel something yeah. like that or, or not telling you the truth, because you always get that feeling how you're being treated or how you're being, wasn't much communication at that point, um, which is not a good thing. You know, usually the coach will come in and tell you, hey, you know, at least tell you, pick it up, get it going. And there wasn't much of that. Maybe that's what frustrated guy like myself the most is you know it was just you're kind of in the dark and not knowing kind of maybe what role they really wanted you to play right so yeah and that was actually going to be my next question was the communication uh if they if they spoke to you that whole month or or when you finally did get sent down if they gave you a reason or they just sent you packing yeah no i think it was just uh you know we're, we're making some changes you, you know the old you're not you know you're you know you can say you're not producing but uh you know, obviously I didn't produce, so, you know, I can say, yeah, no, I didn't have any goals or assists, I, but, you know, playing fourth line minutes at that point, you're not expected to get a lot, or you're not usually going to get a lot, uh, unlike today's game where the fourth line is playing a lot more minutes than back whenever we were playing, but, you know, it, it, it was what it was, um, you know, they had, we had some up and down players all year that year that were good players bouncing up and down a lot of good hockey players look at the Halifax roster mm -hmm. some guys that played the whole year and in, in the minors could have been just easily in the NHL as well right so uh, but yeah tough year and uh, you know ended up uh, going back to Halifax and then you know moving on the next year well and I will say this and and you know I think it's it, it should be noted that in all the seasons that you played the partial NHL and AHL all your numbers, and, and I say this all the time, your numbers in the American League, your numbers whenever you're in the minors, you don't pout. Like, even if you're pissed, you didn't you didn't make it a negative out there. You're always putting up numbers because I'm assuming you go down to Halifax, you're playing first line, second line, you're playing all situations. So uh, as I was looking through your stats, it, it made me laugh a few times because I'm like, what else is this guy supposed to do down in the minors? <laughs> He's he's fighting. He's putting. He's scoring. He's he's putting up points, and he can't get a sniff. And I I just want you know. I always like to wait. Well, you call pump your tires or whatever it is, but it's just a fact. Like it looks like you never went down and pouted. You just you yeah. did your job and did your best to get called back up, whether you did or not. Yeah. Well, exactly. And you know, I, every, you know, I I don't recall the you know you always hear stories of players going down. They're pouting. They're upset. I. I played with a lot of good guys up and down through the minors, and I maybe could think of on one hand how many guys are like that. Um, you know, most guys are competitive and they battle, and no matter where they're playing. Remember, we're only 22, 23 years old at that point too. So you want, and there's still a lot of time left. Um, you know, I remember that year in Halifax. You know, okay, looking here, I had 10 goals and 36 assists, 46 points in 60 games, and 193 pins. I can remember going through long droughts without scoring, just snake bitten, you know, one of those things. And you did, you know, I did get frustrated. I was frustrated. And I remember talking to Hoppy and Clement, Clement and Joe Dwayne, the coach, and just, you know, they were very positive. Just keep plugging away. You're getting chances, shots. So you have to keep going and, and eventually, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll snap out of it. But like I said, I don't know many guys that, that go down and do that. They're like I said, count them one hand. But yeah, you're always looking to, you know, you you want to go out and play. You want to score. You want to get points. You want to 
play hard. And, and that was just the nature of, of myself and the nature of a lot of guys, the Steinies, the Kimbys. I can go on and on, the Severins, Bird Dog. Those guys, they, there wasn't, there was, there was not a non-competitive bone in their body, if you want to say that. Yeah. And plus, I, I guess it helps going down. I mean, the positive of, of going down, and that maybe not the positive of going down, but going down to that group of guys, because you're, it's a group of guys you're already familiar with, and it's a group of guys that you go to war with any day of the week. Oh, for sure. You're going down to a team that, uh, you know, if you, you, if you went out and give a big hit, you know, somebody was – Somebody had your back, whether it was Smitty, Kimby, uh, whoever, right? There's lots of guys on that team that we, that's one thing we, we had, you know, Killer Kaminsky, we had everybody's back every night. And not too many teams messed around with, with us back then, but it was a very tough league back then, right? You had Tate Breton and teams like that. They were, sure, you know, the uh, Montreal's farm team in Fredericton, all these teams are every bit as tough as we were. Well, that's what I was going to ask you towards the end of this year, but since you brought it up, I'll, I'll talk about it now. Um, geography plays a big part in the rivalries you had with the maritime teams because you cut down on travel. It's easier and it's more cost-efficient to just play the game, play most of the games against the other maritime teams. And like, say, your team is loaded for bear, but so is everyone else's team. And uh, just what rivalry games, and, I, you know, I laugh now when I hear uh, – you know, the networks promote rivalry night. And I'm like, give me a break. There are no more rivalries in hockey. But when you played, there were, and you were part of the Nordiques and the Canadians. But even when you went down to Halifax, these maritime games, it wasn't just a rivalry that you had with Fredericton being the Nordiques team and the Canadians team. All those teams, Nordiques and Edmonton wasn't a rivalry, but the teams in the American League were based on geography. And those games were just all out wars. Oh, they were, they were crazy. Like, uh, you know, throw in Moncton in the mix, Fredericton yeah. and us and, and Kate Bratton. And, and it, it was a war. Every team, like you, Fredericton, Jerry Fleming, the Reverse brothers, you know, Moncton had tough teams. Yeah. I can remember a funny story back whenever we were playing in Moncton and it was around Super Bowl. And for whatever reason, there was a layover for another team. And we ended up in Moncton after we played them. We're in the uh, we're in the bar um, down in Moncton that we all the boys go have some few pints. We're watching the Super Bowl, and there was Fredericton in the bar, Halifax, and Moncton. So <laughs> and so here we are. We go to war with these guys like no tomorrow every yeah. game, and then you're in having having a few beers, drinking, laughing about it, watching the Super Bowl between three teams. It was pretty funny, and then, you know nothing happened. There was no everybody like you know what I mean. It was yeah. Just, but that's one of the – I've never – you've been in the bar before and run into a few players from the other teams or whatever, you know, after you played them that night, two teams. But I've never been where three teams have been in the same place in one night. And for that one Super Bowl, it's pretty interesting. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. A uh, couple of guys I want to ask you about on this team. Uh, one guy who um, was, wasn't was uh, an enforcer, wasn't a physical player in terms of fisticuffs, but I'll put his journey to uh, – North American hockey up against anybody. Ivan Matulik, uh, you know, coming over, um, you know, like I don't know if people realize just how difficult it was for, for some of these players to get over here. And I've talked to Ivan about it before, and we we talked about the Stastny brothers defecting and all that stuff. And he says, you know, him coming over is nowhere near what they went through. Uh, but I, Ivan is, is, as far as a human being goes, as tough as they come. Oh, yeah, big big time. Ivan's a great guy. I still stay in touch with him through Facebook every now and then, see him on there and talk to him a bit. 
um, tough guy and another one of those guys that, uh, you know, he was just chiseled, right? He was, he was built like a, a brick shit house and, and strong and just, like you said, he played hard and, and, and guys like that, like you said, didn't have to fight a lot, uh, you know, and if he did, if he, if he had to, he would, but didn't have to, right. um, just the big, strong power forward, right? One of those guys coming over that, you know, we had a few of them on those teams in Halifax and, and he was, he was a good one for sure. Now you said you have the roster open there, your hockey DB uh, years ago, I guess it wasn't when I was doing the research for this, but it caught my eye. I, I associate Ryan McGill with the Flyers. I, I forever ago, I, I didn't even remember him having that short stint with Halifax. Do you remember playing with him? Oh yeah. 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 Ryan McGill. Yeah. I remember he's a great guy, a yeah. really good guy. And yeah, I was there for a short time. Um, uh, funny guy. And, and uh, I think his uncle is Bob McGill. So Bob McGill, Toronto, yeah. everybody, you know, you know, big daddy McGill was oh, Bob yeah. McGill. So we used to call him little daddy. right? So. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jim Sprott, I'm not even going to lead up to it. That's a, that's one of the characters uh, of his time in the American League. What do you remember about playing with Jim Sprott? Paul Sprouter, he was a he's he's a he's a funny guy. He's he's tough as nails, big big strong defenseman. Obviously, uh, you know he was just steady. You know Sprouter was just a steady Eddie type of guy. You know big strong guy. I actually uh, he played for a long time. I actually ended up coaching against him back years later in the cent in the uh, Western Professional Hockey League. He was playing in Shreveport, and I was coaching in I can't remember if it was Austin or Corpus Christi at the time, but he was playing there at that time. But yeah, we had a, there's a lot of guys that ran through Halifax and Quebec and, and Sprouter just to, you know, remember him back playing with the London in his London days in junior and that too. I think it was London he was, where he played. Uh, just, a, just a good guy and, like I said, tough as nails too. Another tough guy that flew under the radar. Well, here, here's, uh, you know, recently this weekend I went to an American League game. I saw Hartford in Grand Rapids and it was not very entertaining. Uh, it's a far cry from the American League back then. And this is the mentality that I love. So you, you take the Halifax Citadels. They have Ken McRae. At times they have Kimby. They have Killer. They got Seve. They got Steiny. You got Bird Dog, uh, Daniel Dore, Scott Pearson, Jim Sprott. You know what we need is more toughness. Why don't we go and add Serge Roberge? I mean, what that locker room is bananas. And then you add arguably one of the toughest players to ever play in the league. I got to know, I can't get enough Serge Roberge stories. He's one of my all-time favorites. What do you remember about playing with Serge? Oh, Serge was uh, just the, he was the big bear. Like he just, he not a man of many words in the locker room, you know, and he spoke primarily French. So, he, you know, he, he was hard to get him to talk English. And we, when we get him talking English, it was pretty, uh, pretty funny, but um, great teammate. Like I said, we, you could almost go out there uh, and do whatever you needed to do um, with those guys behind you, Serge and, and Gimby and Bird Dog and you name it. Like, so us, us guys, maybe we're doing a little more of the scoring and, and, and finesse work some nights, even though, you know, I had my share in the penalty box, but we could go out and, and do that because of those guys. But Serge, man, he was tough. And he had his, he was so good technical wise because yeah. um, he'd grab you and it'd be like, he'd do, he'd wait and wait until he had you where you needed that then the, then the, then the hammer would come out and start going. Right. So, and where his brother Mario, who was a tough guy as well, uh, you know, well-respected fighter, 
he he would stand back and throw him. He wasn't as big as Serge, but you know, he would stand back right away and, and start throwing and just go, 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 go. Don't know tomorrow, but Serge, great teammate, but you're right. Uh, just add another one as we go down there over here. <laughs> well, the thing, uh, I have Mike McWilliam. I've known him a long time, one of your former teammates. I had him on my uh, previous show, the Coliseum Chronicles, and he talked about a fight that he had with Serge and just basically having to be cut out of his jersey because as soon as Serge got a hold of him, like, you don't. There are plenty of people you don't want to get hit by. You definitely don't want to get hit by Mac. So Serge no. is, he's tying him up and twisting up his jersey. And he said when he got to the penalty box, they literally had to cut, his, cut him out of his jersey because it was just basically tied in knots. Oh, yeah, for sure. And Will, and, and Mac was a tough guy, too. Yeah, like, yeah. you know, like he, he both those guys going, they're both big, strong guys. But, yeah, Serge almost could twist your jersey around your shoulders and arms before, and you couldn't move in it, right? Yeah. So, but... Uh, <laughs> Oh yeah, there was some. There's definitely some some tough guys, and like I said, yeah, just to add a guy like Serge to your lineup. Uh, you talk about if one was out of the lineup one night, someone else just come back in and, and replace that toughness, right? So pretty crazy. Well, speaking of toughness, you did have a few scraps that year that uh, that I want to ask you about. Some of them were on video, some of them weren't. Uh, you started the year with Halifax, uh, I think, a day or so after you got sent down. You played Hershey. You had a very, very good fight with uh, Claude Boyvan. Do you remember that fight? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I remember that. That was in, uh, I'm pretty sure that was in Halifax, actually. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was in Halifax, yes. yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a good battle, and he, he was a tough guy. Like I said, the middleweight type of guy like myself, and we're just both trying to make a name for ourselves. And, and uh, but I do remember that scrap. It was a pretty good fight. We both uh, both got each other with a few good ones here and there, and but I definitely remember that one, yeah. And uh, a couple of weeks later, uh, you played Springfield, and you fought Jurgis Baca and uh, Cam Brower. Now, I'm assuming the Brower fight probably had something to do with you fighting Jurgis Baca, because uh, Baca wasn't much of a scrapper, but he could be a pain in the ass, and Brower was legit tough. Uh, do you remember fighting those two guys? I don't remember those very well, but that'd be that would have been what happened, likely. Likely, you know, yeah. fighting the first one and then uh, Brower coming in, but I, I don't recall those as well. Uh, but, um, yeah, that would have been what happened for sure. <laughs> now, so we talked about the rivalry with the Maritimes games, but you sort of always got your nose dirty against Adirondack as well. I don't know what it – I mean, I know what it was. Your team was tough and their team was tough also. Um, this year you fought McClelland again, the annual uh, Fist of Cuffs with Kevin McClelland. You fought Mark Potvin, and you also fought twice in the same game, Serge Anglehart. Any of those fights ring a bell? Oh, yeah, for sure. I remember fighting Macker back uh, when it was at Arondack and, and, and Potsy as well. Um, like I said, all gamers. Uh, yeah. Serge, yeah. you know, Serge, you know, Serge was a little bit uh, higher level scrapper than me he was a pretty tough guy he turned out to be in the long run um and i ended up honestly i played with him later on down the road um thinking uh, trying to remember where where it was but all tough guys and, and just all gamers right and and that was the big thing back then guys just you know you showed up and you i think you know that's one thing you know you never wanted to be embarrassed i guess so if a guy come and give you a whack or a hack and you just didn't turn your back very often and skate away. You kind of stood in there, and if it was a guy tougher than you, you better, you know, which we all run into, and just stand there, and, you know, you take your lumps when you get them. And uh, this is where I inject a PSA for, for the listeners out there. So you, you watch the highlights. You see this goal, the behind-the-net lacrosse goal that everyone calls the Michigan. Well, 
Here's a fact you may not know. The guy who actually invented that is a player named Bill Armstrong. He did it first before Mike Legg did it at Michigan. But everyone calls it the Michigan. But it was actually Bill Armstrong who played with her. She played with Albany, played in the IHL. Uh, he was a middleweight. He could do it all, similar to yourself, Kenny. He could he could do everything. And you actually had a really good scrap with Billy uh, this season as well. Do you remember that one? Yes, I do. Yeah, Bill was a gamer. There's no doubt about it. And not to be confused with Bill Armstrong, the, the bigger, big dude, yeah. I used to call the bigger Bill Armstrong <laughs> yeah. when I played with the Providence. So there's the bigger Bill yeah. Armstrong and then, yeah. and then there's Bill Armstrong. But yeah, he was a gamer and, and tough as nails. And, and yeah, he was the guy that actually scored the um, that goal the first, for yes. the first time ever, I believe, and never gets credit for it. But yeah, he, I definitely remember that. Um, like I said, he's, he was a gamer. I can remember him back in the days in the American League Junior, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Every time uh, someone posts the Michigan, I always have to quote tweet it and tag Billy in it and go, nope, they, it's not the Michigan, it's the Army. So yeah, uh, you got <laughs> to give credit to these guys. You know, I mean, uh, it's easy to just call it the Michigan. I mean, Bill Armstrong can't compete with the Michigan hockey program. So maybe uh, a ham and egger like myself putting it out there, someone will see it and maybe give this guy some credit. Exactly. No, exactly. Credit where it's due. <laughs> so um, this is a question I'm going to ask everybody on this team, and Steiny was the first one to bring it up. I, I have to know um, uh, Clement Jodoin, if that's how you say his name. Obviously, yeah. I'm not a francophone. Um, one night, he, he did something very unconventional trying to fire up the troops. And um, w- if you could go into that story, uh, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. If you could tell me your first-person account of uh, of this tactic that he used. Which one is that one with the chicken? That's it. That's one. Of the t- uh, so <laughs> my man had a few good ones. There, there's that one. There was uh, one one he brought in uh, before the chicken one. I'm not sure if Steiny told you this one. There was one one night where he came in with a board with a nail in it and a hammer in his hands. And he, he, didn't, all, he didn't tell me this one. So please. Oh, go ahead. and this one here is, you know, he, he, in his broken English. And Clement was a funny guy and he got a hoppy standing as the assistant coach or the back looking, you know, coming in with a little smirk in his face and my man comes in the room and he's like, start, puts the, puts the board with the nail down on the center table and just starts guys tonight. We're going to hammer them. We're going to hammer them. And he starts pounding this nail into the board and, and we're just sitting there like, it's hard not to laugh. Right. So I, uh, the one, the one, the one with the chicken is a classic. He, you know, we're sitting there and I guess he thought we were playing soft or, know whatever playing like a bunch of chicken shits i guess and next thing you know here comes a chicken flying into the room and he's got a chicken in our dressing room we're like man that's i you see a lot of things in the minors but that was clem had some interesting tactics and uh they were pretty funny pretty comical at times well steiny said the chicken was still in the locker room the next day oh yeah like i said it was still he it was in there for yeah i don't know when they got it out i i even think when he first let it go it come out i think he might have had a uh, like a hockey, a skate lace or a string patched around yeah. and it flew into the room so he could control it or whatever. <laughs> but there's feathers flying everywhere. We're sitting here going, what the hell is this? We're getting ready to go play a hockey game. And man, but yeah, Clem had some interesting tactics and, and it definitely kept us loose in there. And I don't know, but that, yeah, you wouldn't see that any uh, time soon in an NHL rink, I don't think. Oh no, the PETA people would be circling the arena with that one. <laughs> Uh, so, so after the way 9091 went, you know, you, you start the year there, you're coming back to training camp 9192. I mean, w- 
is sort of like a mind fuck, I guess, in a way. Like, you have no idea what to expect, right? No, no idea. Like, you just, you know, finish the year, coming back again. And, you know, it's just one of those things. You, you know, go to training camp, get ready, and, and hope for the best. Now, this this is the training camp. We had we had alluded to it earlier, how the, the Nordiques training camps are just absolute gong shows. And this is the one camp. There's There's a lot of video footage. Uh, out with this camp and and the guys just so so the folks if you've never seen this stuff so this is just picture this training camp and these are just the guys that you know uh tony twist is in this camp he's he's been traded for kimby uh john cordick is in this camp uh ken mccray's in this camp herb raglan um marcinician dave marcinician is in this camp bird dog smith kevin kaminsky stephen finn um wayne van dorp and you guys and and you you pretty much from the video I saw you kind of stayed out of it a little bit, which is probably a wise move. I think you got into a couple of skirmishes, but f- for you looking at this, oh, and uh, Sergio Burge is also in this camp. Sergio yeah, Burge. Sergio Burge is also in this camp, and the the footage that's out there it's about forty minutes long, and all it is is training camp fights. What I mean, this had to be the wildest training camp you've ever been a part of. It was crazy, and and I did stay out of it. I like yeah. they; those guys are way out of my. <laughs> those guys are a little bit out of my league. Um, you know, it was it was nutty. Like it was, it was just fight after fight after fight, and 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 like I said, each one of those guys figured there was one or two spots likely available on the on the Nordiques, and and they were bound. They were going to be the ones that got it. But yeah, there it was ridiculous how it, it was. It was just. It was crazy, and like I said, yes, I didn't need to get involved in that. That's a little bit out of – I didn't need – John Cordick and Serge and Twister and all those guys were a little bit heavy, uh, heavier weight class than I was ever in. So, uh, But, yeah, you talk about some battles and, and just fight, 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 and then stop. Keep the skate back to the bench and lace, get ready to go on the next shift again. <laughs> it's just like I, I I watch it and I'm just like this is absolute. It's just a gong show. It's just bananas. And and the thing is, it's not. It's not young kids fighting for spots. It's established guys. Like by this point, all these guys are established, you know, and yeah. it's just, it's, just, you know, usually you go to a training camp and you have like with Twister, you talk about back early in his career with St. Louis, when him and Kelly Chase were going into training camp, fighting Todd, you and trying to, trying to take his job. Now yeah. you have all these veteran guys. It's not even young kids trying to make a name for themselves. That's the wildest thing in my opinion. Oh yeah, it was it was veteran guys like you say that were trying to earn that one or two spots for the for the tough guy on the team, and there was <laughs> I think that's what made it a war. And like I said, it, there were some you know some of the best fights likely were during that. There were some some great toe to toe battles yeah. that no one would ever see because it was all training camp footage. But yeah, there was some definitely some great fights in that training camp for sure. So you spent training camp there. You you were uh, you spent ten games there. Um, a little bit in the beginning and then later on in January. So we got to do name association again with some of these guys. Uh, Dave Marcinician, who I, I really, I'm a big fan of his, you know, AHL lifer, thankfully got some games in the NHL. Uh, just a hard-nosed, gritty defenseman will fight anybody. Uh, what do you remember about playing with Dave? Well, he is a tough guy, and there's no doubt about it. He had some some great scraps. Uh, he was a good, solid defenseman for his big man, obviously, and Good, really good guy. Like I said, I, I think it was only that year I spent with him there in Halifax yeah. for the most part. But like I said, he, uh, he, yeah, like he played most of his career in the American Hockey League and, and wasn't afraid of anybody. I think he, 
had some great fights. I want to say, I want to remember correctly, I, I think he, when he was with UJK, he had one heck of a battle with Kimby even at yes, one point. Yes. I think it was. Yeah, so, yeah, real tough guy. And like I said, again, no shortage of that tough guys in the Quebec Halifax <laughs> system back then. <laughs> uh, another guy, uh, Herb Raglan, and uh, I know you weren't there long with him, and I know there was a little bit of beef with him and Wayne Van Dorp once. I guess Wayne Van Dorp was accusing Herbie of uh, whining a little bit, I guess. And I never met Herb. I never met Wayne. But what do you what do you remember about playing with Herb? I, Herbie's a, Herbie is a pretty funny guy. Yeah. He lives in the Peterborough area where I live now, and I see him the odd time every now and then. Herb, just a big, big, tough, strong guy. Like you said, he uh, one thing with Herbie, and then, yeah, him and Dorby had a little bit yeah. of a war on words, I guess, and, a, and had a little training camp scuffle, or a, actually a practice scuffle yeah. <laughs> on the ice. But um, tough, tough guy. Some of the biggest hands that ever see, he had, he had hands on him, like, like, you know, there's a lot of those tough guys that have the big paws, but Herbie was just a bulldog. He was like, what, 5'10", 5'11", yeah. but he was just as thick as they come. And uh, you wouldn't want to run into him uh, in his tracks when he got going. He's, you know, he's almost like uh, a Rafi Torres type of body style and just run guys over. Yeah, when that happened with Van Dorp, the, the news only got Wayne Van Dorp's comments. I was always wondering, I like, would have loved to hear what Herb had to say. You know, like you put that out there and like people that watch it, like I just said, that's what, what Wayne said. Like, I guess Herb was whining a little bit or something, but you don't get Herb's side of the story. It's kind of like, we'll give them both equal time to get the story out there. Exactly. I don't recall totally what it was, yeah. but it was, yeah, there's two sides to it. <laughs> right. And not many guys put Joe Koser down, which Herb did uh, early in his career with the Blues. So, yeah, no, that's, uh, that's right. I said he was a, he was a tough guy and he fought some, some heavyweights back in his days. That's for sure. All right, now let's get to the big boys, uh, John Cordick and Tony Twist. What what was it like playing with those guys? Oh, it was yeah. well when you were in between them at center, it was pretty good. <laughs> you know, like I, I believe I centered a few of those shifts, so I didn't have much to worry about whenever I centered those guys. But like you say, Twister and two two guys that you know were legendary tough guys, obviously. Um, I I don't even know what to say about either of them. Twist yeah. like Twister. Just when he was there in Quebec, like the, the hammer that he has when he hits you with that thing, it comes from almost from, he almost touches the ice back below him and then comes through, right? So, <laughs> and Cornick, like I said, I, I watched him in Montreal, scrap guys, and, you know, obviously played against him and played with them and seen him battle, battle some of our guys. So two legendary tough guys there for sure. It's better to have John on your team, I would imagine. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Better on my team and, you know, at least... You know, we, we might not, uh, we, the three of us out there, sometimes we could go a shift and maybe not touch the puck. So that's a really bad thing. <laughs> Man, I can't even imagine what that's like. Like, you're literally out there, you look to one wing, you see one of them, you look to the other wing. You had to feel like I'm the most protected guy in the world right now. Well, exactly. Yeah, that's uh, that's what you, there was no one going near anybody on the ice at that time. <laughs> <laughs> now, in the preseason, uh, you fought Mario Roberge again. I think this was the third time that you had fought Mario, uh, that's not an easy task. And yet uh, you guys always seem to hook up when you played. Yeah, no, uh, Mario didn't like me. I don't think. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we, I, we, we, uh, we had a few battles between the, in, you know, exhibition NHL or whatever, and then the minors a lot too. And like I said, he was, um, he was more, uh, I guess in my weight class, but Mario could hang in there with the heavy guys too. Like he was, he was a tough guy and strong and a little bit different style in Surge. Um, but um, yeah, we had a few battles and 
total respect for a guy like that. He was, he was a tough guy and you know what? He could play. He could yeah. play a bit too. Like he was a, he was a decent player in the minors as well. I think Mario, I mean, Mario doesn't need to compliment anybody, but I think at that time he was the perfect compliment for Todd you and having those two guys on the team, you know, one, one is a monster. One is more regular size guy. You know, Todd's all power. Mario has power, but he's mostly speed. I mean, they were a pretty good combination there. Oh, they were for sure. Both those guys, you know, like I said, Todd was a huge man and, and big, strong, tough. And like I said, Mario just was, uh, you know, the next class down a little bit and, yeah. you know, tough as tough as they come for sure. Well, and, and what I'm about to say speaks to what I said about you going to the minors and doing what you do. And th- this season you get sent to the minors, you play 52 games, you had 71 points. I mean, this is, that's pretty damn good. And I mean, uh, 30 goals in 52 games, you led the team in scoring, you led the team in goals, uh, and 184 penalty minutes is only good for fourth on that team. Uh, th- some different cast of characters down in Halifax now, but the the method is still the same. Um, so, I, of course, if you don't mind, I got to ask you about some of these guys too. Um, you played with a young David Carpa who went on to have a pretty good NHL career. What were your impressions of young Dave Carpa? Well, yeah, there was Dave was obviously you know, young player then, obviously, and, and we had a, you know, we were we were an okay team in Halifax. I don't think we made the playoffs that year, but um, like I said, we were up and down all year, but a lot of player movement, but Carps was a, you know, good, steady guy, and like I said, went on to have a great, great NHL career after that, and turned, and, and was in, in kind of sleeper tough as well. Like, he, he was a sleeper tough guy uh, in the fact that if you, he, he had to stand up for himself. He would do it. Um, but yeah, a lot of good players, good guys on that team. Uh, unfortunately, we didn't have a great year. I was fortunate. I think I just got a little confidence back and, you know, had a great season, you know, uh, playing with some good players. Um, Mike Butters. Uh, one of the, I mean, to me, there are certain guys who scream AHL character and Mike Butters is one of those guys. What do you remember about playing with Mike? I just remember being one of the funniest guys I've ever played with. Like you just, constantly cracking jokes and, and very, very funny guy. And again, tough gamer, tough guy, a gamer, do do anything for his teammates, uh, built along the same lines as like a Kevin Kaminsky in my my opinion, but one of the funny funnier guys I played with for sure. Uh, here's a player I actually was able to meet when uh, RHI was a thing. We had a team here on Long Island. Uh, he played uh, at least one season in the RHI. I can't remember with which team though. Uh, but you played with him in Halifax, Dean Zayons. Oh yeah, Dean. I I remember a little bit. Uh, like I said, I, he was. He looks played twenty four games yeah. there that year, yeah. so I think he was up and down yeah. a little bit. But yeah. uh, we I went through a lot of defense from that year, and the yeah. number Dean coming in, and he's a good kid. Uh, I don't remember a lot of them because he wasn't there the whole year. But right. yeah, another player that came through. Uh, Young young defenseman that uh, got an opportunity with us, um, you know, because we went through a lot of them that year. Yeah, and th- another guy that you played with that uh, fans probably remember from his time in Calgary, but he did play with you down in Halifax that year was Martin Samard. Oh yeah, Marty. Marty is a good guy. I like Marty. He's uh, yeah. another funny funny guy with the broken English, and and uh, <laughs> and again, uh, you know, he was a gamer, tough tough guy as well. Like there was no shortage of guys. That, that would show up and even in that year and yeah. weren't maybe as deep toughness wise as the previous other years, yeah. but still a lot of good tough guys in that lineup. I think you had, uh, you know, where in past years you had like the elite, you had some elite level guys, maybe this year more like a Wolfpack mentality. 
Yeah, exactly. Like Serge was still there that year, but you had guys like you know Marty that you know was, he was only there for ten games that year, yeah. but he'd show up. And you had some other guys. Mike Dagenet played hard, played tough. He, you know, he wasn't a huge fighter, but right. you know right. showed up when he had to. And he had killer rolling in <laughs> yeah. with three hundred and thirty penalty minutes. So <laughs> yeah, Denny Chasse was on that team also. I believe. yeah, Denny. Yeah, Denny yeah. was a good. good uh, played a lot with Denny on my line that year, and uh, they said he was a. He was a tough guy too. Surprised a lot of guys. He was, I think, he was a lefty, and he'd catch a lot of guys. The surprise, uh, surprise fighter himself. Uh, so that year, I don't, you know, you had a lot of minutes. I didn't find a lot of fights. Um, I did find a game where you fought Warren Reichel twice, uh, who was with Moncton at the time. Do you remember that uh, those fights at Warren? Yeah, Warren was a uh, yeah Bundy. Yeah, I know, I know Warren <laughs> from. Uh, uh, from the OHL right through, and and even uh, when I coached in the OHL, coaching uh, he was in Windsor. But yeah, Bundy was a tough guy, a similar player to what I am. Just you know, go out, play hard, and, and try and stir the pot a little bit every now and then. So we had a few a few scraps. I, I'm guessing if you know one of us got the better of us the first time, and someone one of us went back for more the second time. So I don't remember <laughs> the fights that much, but. If you if you if you look at the character of, of Warren and, and kind of on the same way, like I said, if I got if he got me in the first one, I'd like to go back to try him a second time. <laughs> uh, well, you did get a call up in January. Uh, you played a game against Boston. What does it take to get Andy Moog to lose his shit and uh, attack you? What did you do to Andy Moog? I, I can't remember that. I, I want to. I don't remember that. I, I remember it happening, but I don't even remember exactly what it was. I don't know if I maybe just give him a few extra jabs with a stick, <laughs> trying to dig a puck out. But I remember the incident, but I don't yeah. recall what it was that uh, I totally did. <laughs> well, I'm sure you're going to remember this. A few days later, you guys are playing Calgary, and uh, it was a nice little line brawl with yourself, Bird Dog Killer, Ronnie Stern, Joel Otto. I mean, this was. To me, you were just kind of in the middle of it because I think this was a prime killer and a prime bird dog in that brawl. You saw the best of what makes those guys tick, and I think you just kind of got involved in the middle of it. Yeah, I didn't. I, those guys were the main combatants. Yeah. I kind of yeah. was just in there watching. I think for the most part on that one, but uh, yeah, the uh, <laughs> not like Killer and, and Smitty uh, to, to cause a line brawl or to <laughs> want to be part of one like that, you know. It, you know, it was almost talked about daily with those guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I don't know what my favorite part of that was. I, I think it was actually after it was all over and Stern's leaving the ice and he has to go past the penalty box and Killer's just pointing at him like, like he wants to go again. Like, it, like I, I could go on and on about Killer. I love, I love the guy. We've been very close for a long time, but just, you know, like Stern, he's just, and it, like I give Stern credit because he's mounted off to Bird Dog and Killer in the box. That could have just had it all erupt all over again. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I said, and Ronnie Stern was was a gamer as well. And and like I said, he he wasn't backed down from anybody. So definitely a tough group. <laughs> now um, that was your last season in Quebec. You were traded to Toronto for Len Esau. Um What was your reaction to that trade? Did you look at it as a fresh start? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like I said, it's, uh, you know, I was, it was time. I'd spent my whole career in Quebec and kind of up and down point. And then, you know, to get to Toronto, you know, my favorite team growing up as a, as a child. And, and I was always a Leafs fan. So yeah, definitely a welcome trade. Uh, 
how much pressure is it? Uh, you always hear about the Ontario players and the Toronto area players going back and uh, putting on that Maple Leaf. Is it as, as pre- I mean, and maybe for if, if you were a 50 goal scorer or, uh, you know, Russ Courtnall or one of those guys, there'd be a lot more pressure. Um, how much pressure is it actually to go back? And I guess a lot of it is just because your family's there, your friends are there. Uh, is that a legitimate thing, the pressure playing in Toronto for an Ontario kid? Oh, for sure. Like it's, 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 like you say, it comes with the territory in Toronto. The media is crazy. You know, Ontario kids coming back. Yeah. Yeah. Most of us all played in the Ontario hockey league and played, you know, in that area. So that's nothing new, but just Toronto for an Ontario kid playing for the Maple Leafs, um, you know, on television, hockey in Canada, et cetera. There is a lot of pressure, but again, once you step on the ice, it's usually gone, but the butterflies and the, the lead up is definitely something that catches up with uh, a lot of us. So uh, I've asked you about a certain number of players so far with Quebec and, and with, with Toronto, you played with someone who is a lot of people's favorite player ever. And that's Wendell Clark. You got to play with Wendell Clark. You, you know, what, what was it like? Just, just being around like the aura surrounding Wendell Clark, like Wendell Clark to me was the perfect guy for the Maple Leafs and just for, for can like, he's just Canada to me. What, what is it like playing with Wendell Clark? Oh, it was unbelievable. Wendell is just, like I said, he, he, first off, he's an unbelievable human being. You know, he's still, I run into him every now and then up uh, in Toronto, Leafs games, alumni and that and just a first class person, number one, but from a player standpoint, yeah, like, like just, he was your prototypical go through the wall guy for you, you know, true captain material. And, and like I said, it was just an honor to play with a guy like that. That's, you know, it just, like I said, he'd do so many things, whether it be fighting, scoring, the big hit, the change of game around, you know, say the right things in the locker room to turn the team around. So yeah, a lot of great, uh, great memories. I didn't play with him a ton. I was up and down that year, but yeah. spent train, two training camps there. And, and like I said, he was uh, just a great guy. Um, also a guy in Toronto that uh, the season before was traded from the Islanders. It absolutely broke my heart. Uh, the bomber. What was it like being a, being a teammate with the bomber? Oh, it was good. I played on a line with him a little bit. Uh, and uh, like I said, good team guy. I'd rather yeah. play with him than against him. That's <laughs> yeah. fair, he could, uh, he, uh, he could get you get under your skin pretty fast. And, and he was a, he was called the bomber for a reason. He was a tough guy. <laughs> he liked to throw them. When I when I do these interviews and I ask the guest about certain players, part of it is because I, I just feel like they get forgotten easily. And I know that Todd Gill won't be forgotten by Maple Leafs fans, but to me, Todd Gill is just everything that's right with hockey, like a stay-at-home tough defenseman and spent the you know spent so many years in Toronto. Doesn't really get a lot of lot of publicity, but he just goes in and does his job every day. Uh, what do you remember about playing with Todd? Oh, he was another good, like I said, great teammate. Uh... He's from not far from my hometown, uh, so we both played kind of in the Central Junior Hockey League and, and obviously the OHL, et cetera. But, um, you know, Giller is a little older than I was, but um, just, a, again, a real good teammate. Uh, I remember having a, a pretty pretty crazy scrap with him when I was in Quebec, uh, and he was in Toronto during the exhibition. We had a, it was a bit of a line brawl, I believe it was, and me and him had a pretty good fight together, and... Uh, you know, I think it ended up in the front page of the Toronto Star or something. Toronto Star, Toronto Sun, a picture of us. And, well, I think we both had blood running down our face, and the violence in hockey was like the title. So I don't know. Me, me Todd, and I might have been one that started that uh, a little bit. Uh, uh, 
downfall of uh, fighting in hockey. But um, like I said, he, again, not a huge guy, but stick up for you and, and just a good player. He was a yeah. really good player. Uh, did you ever score off Grant Fuhrer in practice? I, I believe I did, yes. I scored a few on Grant, but he, he was a gamer in practice. He was tough to score on, there's no doubt about that, because he, 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 he might not have liked to practice uh, all the time, but, uh, you know, he was, he, was, uh, just a, he was a funny guy. Like I said, during those training camps, I remember trying to, trying to put the fuck by him. He's competitive in there, that's for sure. And, and I, I laugh when I think of Grant Fiore. It just goes to show how stupid people are in general when you give them a platform. There are people that actually chirp Grant Fiore on Twitter. And it's like, how do you chirp a guy that is a legend Hall of Famer with all those Stanley Cup rings? It's like, I get it. He was in his prime in Edmonton. But but I'm like, you're chirping a legend. I just It just goes to show how, you know, again, I'm, I'm digressing here. But I'm just like, I, 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 I love that Grant goes back at everybody. He does, right? Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's just crazy how people chirp him. I don't understand that. You know, win all those Stanley Cups and everything like that. I, I don't understand it. He's one, one of the biggest competitors you ever watch and, like, yeah. just a gamer from top to bottom. Now, you, you spent the majority of the season with St. John's, but you were there for a little bit. And this was, I think, Doug Gilmore was just off the charts this, this season. So even for the short time you were there, could you just tell he was on a different level that year? Oh yeah, he was. You know, he, Doug, Dougie was Dougie. Like I said, the next year I ended up having to be in all the room with him uh, throughout yeah. the playoffs that year. But that first year, yeah, you could tell he between him and Wendell and a few other guys. You know, you knew that there was going to be some good seasons, a couple of good seasons ahead because they were nobody could control him. He was just he was on fire. And you mentioned Pat Burns earlier when you talked about fighting Mike Keane, and now he's actually your coach. Did you like playing for Pat? I love playing for Pat. Like he was a straight shooter, you know, uh, that first year I actually spent about a, I guess it was around a month there. I only played two games, but I, you know, I made the road trip out West and he was pretty honest with me. You know, he was just, that's what he looked for. He was honest saying, not going to play every game, but start the year here and we'll see how it goes. And then and again, it was just one of those things you, you felt you should have been able to stay, but we had a lot of veteran guys in that least team that, you know, we're good hockey players and it was going to be tough to outseed them, you know, of a spot. So I ended up getting sent back down, but it was, that was tough because I, I wanted to play on that team. It was a good, good group of guys. And, but we're down to St. John's and great coaching staff down there. Great group of players as well. Well, I'm looking at the, uh, the guys that I have listed for the, the baby leaves here. And uh, <laughs> this is another cast of characters you had, but again, I'll say it again. You went down to St. John's. You had 74 points in 64 games. You know, like, again, I just, I know, like I said, keep pumping the tires here, but it just goes to show that with you guys who play a physical game, if you get the ice time, you can actually produce with the gloves on too. And this is another year you're better than a point a game. uh, And I'm sure you're playing in all situations. Yeah, I was. And I got a chance to play with some really good hockey players. If you look at that list, there's Turno there, Yannick Perot, Patrick Augusta, you know, you look at there's a lot of Gavis Darius had, had a big year there. Like we had a lot of good hockey players, and obviously we had a good. You know, Mark Crawford was our coach. You know, good solid coach, and he really pushed us hard. And 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 like I said, we had a we had a really good hockey team. Uh, you played with a couple of guys who I think could be designated as sort of like undercover tough. I mean, that year you had Kevin McClellan. We spoke about him. Uh, Rudy, we spoke about him. Uh, a couple of guys, Curtis Hunt and Todd Hawkins. I don't know. Unless you played against them, I don't think you realize how tough they were. 
Yeah, you wouldn't want to mess with either of those guys. Hawk was one of the pound for pound, one of the toughest guys uh, I can remember. You know, he, he would kill guys in junior, destroyed guys in junior because they didn't think he was, you know, he was, he was tough at all. And then he surprised a lot of guys in pro. And it didn't take long before guys realized you don't mess with him. And Huntsy was, a, like I said, just a solid, tough guy as well. And like I said, stick up for your teammate. Um, I was, you know, like I said, it was great to play with both those guys, but two tough guys, another guy in there, Grant Marshall was a tough guy too. Like Marshy was a tough guy also. So a lot of guys that were gamers in there, Todd Gillingham showed up and played hard every night and fought guys. So a lot of good guys. Uh, one player who I, I used to talk to all the time, I really have to reconnect with him who I, I love. I think he's such a goofball and I mean that in such a positive way. Uh Wally, Greg Walters. What do you remember about playing with Wally? Oh he is Wally's a good guy. <laughs> yeah, I loved Wally. He's uh yeah, goofball is a good word. Uh yeah, he is funny and again tough tough gamer, you know, fight anybody if he was called upon and but um, yeah I like Wally's a good guy. He's been on to become a good solid hockey coach now he's up here in Ontario. So yeah, no I remember good things about Greg. Uh, Guy LaHue, he's like a, he would have to be a St. John's legend. I would think he spent so much time there. Oh, he was a legend. They loved him there. You know, he was, like I said, a funny, funny guy too. Uh, you know, just a French Canadian, uh, coming out of nowhere and, and made that team just a steady stay home defenseman. And, you know, and he, he would, he would, he had to fight, he'd fight, but he, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't, you know, a big tough heavyweight guy who showed up and, and did his thing. But, uh, great teammate, and he he is a legend down there. They loved him while he had his uh, stay in St. John's for sure. So I just peeked ahead at, at my notes for the next season, and it reminded me of uh, I, I reached out to one of your former teammates, and they gave me some info. Uh, one thing I didn't ask you about, going back to your, uh, I guess it's your Quebec days or, or Halifax, I, unless it started in junior, how'd you get the nickname Trigger? Uh, <laughs> the funny thing with that is, in Quebec, we were playing the Chicago Stadium the, the one night, and uh, Jeff Jackson, I believe, is the one who gave it to me. Um, so we, I just I think he might have been the one passing puck to me, and I just got it away quick, snapped it home, and he just came over to me, and they, he's like, hey, how to pull the trigger, trigger? And then <laughs> next thing you know, that's my nickname. It's like, I, you know, by no means was I uh, – <laughs> You know, a 30 goal guy in the NHL that should be called Trigger, but yeah, that's uh, that was a uh, that's how it came about. Just and scored a goal in Chicago one night, and he just came over and basically it stuck from there on in. Uh, looking at the guys you fought this season, uh, you fought one little guy who plays like he's 10 feet tall, Rob Murray. Uh, yeah, and then and then you fought your former teammate Dave Carpa. You yeah, I don't remember much day. about the carp, the carp fight, the carpa fight. Um, but I, I, Rob Murray and I had battles all the time. He was, you know, he was an agitator and and a gamer. And like I said, uh, you know, I, he was. We both played a similar style of game, and and I, I had many battles with him. I'm surprised. I think I might even fought him more than once. But I, I, I definitely fought him uh, a few times. And and like I said, just. I don't remember the Carpa fight, but I remember him, uh, you know, Rob Marie and I having some pretty epic, uh, and we, we, we taunted each other a lot. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, I bet. I bet. Rob Murray to me, to me, he's, he's just like killer. I mean, I don't think he fought as much as killer, but to me, they're, they're cut from the same cloth. Oh, for sure. Yeah, they are for sure. Like I said, he never backed down or he played hard every night, but, um, yeah, I, I we had some, some, 
some whacking and hacking between the two of us over the years. <laughs> well, and, and I point out those two fights because it seemed like after that, and I, I only have six fights listed for you this season. I'm sure there were more, but I, there, I couldn't find anything else. But every guy you picked on after that is like a giant. I have you fighting Ian Herbers, a big dude from Cape Breton, uh, Rick Hayward, who was with Moncton at the time, and then two small guys from Fredericton, Turner Stevenson and Jerry Fleming on back-to-back nights. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I really was – maybe they were picking me. I don't know. I don't know if I would have picked them on anything. But all that I think that, that goes back to just the, the, the rivalry of the maritime yeah. teams again, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I don't think I had business mess with uh, with um, Big Jerry, but uh, I don't know if that would have been much of a fight. I might have been holding on a lot on that one. <laughs> well, I I, I, want, I love Jerry. I do. I, I have him on my uh, Mount Rushmore, minor league enforcement. What's it like when, if you remember anyway, when he the first grab, when he grabs your jersey, it has to feel like you're just being scooped up by a payloader. Well, yeah, he's just, he's such a big man, right? And he was so, again, another guy with hands. I remember the size of his hands and, just a big, strong man, but one of the nicest guys oh, yeah. you'll meet. Like I said, he's just a, he's a, he's a great guy and, and you know, to talk to him after the fact, but um, just out there doing his job, right? That's mm-hmm. all he was doing. So um, just because, you know, I, I mentioned that I'm on the Island, I'm an Islanders fan uh, that year in the playoffs, again, going back to the maritime rivalry, you did have a battle with Alan Kerr, uh, more your size, more more smaller guy compared to the other guys, but every bit is tough. Do you remember fighting Alan? Yeah, I remember that. I remember fighting Alan the one time, and uh, I don't recall the, the basics of right. it. But again, just a you know, again another tough gamer type of guy, and I think a guy that surprised surprised a lot of people yeah. <laughs> with how tough he was, right? But uh, I don't recall the fight directly uh, how it went, but um, I do remember fighting him. Yeah. So uh, moving on to the next season, uh, another camp with Toronto. You mentioned some guys already. Uh, you mentioned Gilly. You mentioned Grant Marshall. Um, just a couple other guys I want to ask you about. You had a player assistant coach who I guess would be considered a minor league legend, uh, Rich Chernomaz. Yeah. Yeah, Cherno was, um, like I said, he he was a phenomenal player in the minors. Like I said, he put up some big numbers for us. Um, like I said, he – I think he led our team that year in scoring, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, like I said, we we had some good, good, really good hockey players that year. And Cherno was, like I said, just a small little fire plug out there, and you know, and didn't back down from anybody either, right? Mm-hmm. I think I think we had some guys that had to come. You know, nobody was getting to to Cherno, but he liked to stir it up a bit. So we had some guys that had to come <laughs> take care of some business whenever he was out there. Well, also, he was a, probably a more viable option than, say, a Ryan Vandenbush. Yeah, yeah, that's, well, like, exactly, yeah. Like I said, we had, yeah, and there's, you know, like, again, Bushy, just tough as nails, right? Tough as they come right there. But I would say the undisputed king of your uh, team that year, the, the number one heavyweight, and absolutely one of the true all-time characters in the sport. Forget about the American League. Tell me about Frankie the Animal by Lois. <laughs> well, Frankie was quite the quite the character. Like I said, he uh, I can never forget him showing up and uh, uh, at the with his eight ball jacket on and Mark Crawford <laughs> welcoming him to the team and and saying we got a new tough guy coming in and just a true like. He just loved, loved playing, 
he loved the, the opportunity. That was the biggest thing, and he wasn't going to let it go. Um, he did everything he could to stay in St. John's Maple Leaf, in which kick-started him to, you know, he was a legend in Philadelphia for the Phantom. Um, but, yeah, the animal was do anything for your to do anything for for his teammates, and that was his number one thing. And that'd be after he fight for you, he'd stand up for you. But yeah, just a good—he was a good guy. And like I said, uh, when he got in the locker room, he kept it loose, and it's fun to be around him. One of the the coolest things, the coolest memory that I have with him is um, going to a Phantoms game. I was still—I I lived in Philly for ten years. This is before I lived there. And uh, my wife, who may not have been my wife at the time, maybe she was my girlfriend and a buddy of mine, we went down. And obviously, I'm a, a fight nerd. I love Frank Bialois. I didn't realize it, though. I get there, and two minutes into the game, like nothing even happened. And the spectrum is just chanting, we want Frank. And I just look at my friend, and I go, holy shit, this is fucking amazing. And until they put him on the ice, it was just, we want Frank. He steps over the boards, and the place just erupts. And it wasn't even for any, it wasn't like shit happened. They just wanted to see him, and then forget about when, when shit went down. That was just it. The roof was going to come off that place. Oh, yeah. Like I said, he could he could get turn a game around in a hurry, and the fan, fan favorite had and for a, for a good reason, right? He he did what he had to do, and and like I said, he was he's a fan favorite. I think pretty much wherever he went. Yeah, and I and I would say this. I would say you know for the Flyers, obviously you have the Legion of Doom, and and Flyers have some great players. I would argue with anybody that during Frank's time with the Phantoms, he was the second most popular player in the city behind Lindros. Yeah, very well could have been. Yeah, like I said, I I'd been following him after that after you know my career was kind of like basically and when he went to Philly and, and just, I heard stories about him and I just see some highlights and stuff, but yeah, he was definitely a huge fan of favorite there. Well, and the fortunate thing about Frankie is he's very accessible. And I did ask Frankie about what he remembers about playing with Ken McRae. Uh, he told, first of all, he said, Ken's an awesome dude. Um, he said that you guys got called up to Toronto at the same time. And that was the game where he fought Twister and you fought Bobby Bassam. And yeah. he said that was an awesome tilt. He did tell me to ask you about the nickname Greasy Spoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that the nickname there is funny because that Kevin McClellan comes from Kevin McClellan. Okay. And and I the reason I think I don't know where Macker even came up with it. I I just remember that when I got traded to St. John's, there wasn't going to be two Macs in the room. Right. There's only one Mac, and that's Big Mac, Kevin McClellan. So people were calling me Mac, and he he's like, you're not being called Mac. So <laughs> I, he just came up with a name. And, yeah, I don't know where, what he, how he wound up with that, Greasy Spoon or whatever, <laughs> but he just, he, you know, that stuck after that because I, I couldn't be my normal nickname because we had Big Mac McClellan in there. <laughs> now, I'm trying to picture, like, a group of my friends, like a group of guys, and one guy saying there's only one Mac. I know myself and my buddies, we would just call you Mac just to annoy him. Did that happen too? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. That would make, that would upset him. You know, he was funny in the locker room. Guys would just bug, you know, he'd have to remind people. Okay. Remember, <laughs> there's only one Mac in this room. Like, and he was pretty adamant on that. So, but he's a, like I said, it was quite an adventure playing and having him in the same locker room. He's a, he's a funny guy, good guy. Now, <clears throat> the, excuse me, the unfortunate thing about this 
uh, this portion of your career and, and going forward with some of the IHL stuff, there's not a ton of video out there. So I only have some names of guys uh, that I'll throw out there and you could tell me if, if anything rings a bell um, as far as the like actual tougher guys go. Um, you fought Kevin McClelland, who's with Prince Edward Island at the time. Um, later on that year, you had a two fight game with Prince Edward Island. One of the fights was against Greg Pankowitz. Uh, I don't know if any of those ring a bell for any reason. Oh yeah. I remember the Pankowitz crap. We had a few, few battles. A funny story about, I think the Pankowitz one, the reason it happened, we were so short of staff, um, that our trainer, we had to, we had to dress a, our, our trainer or something happened. We had to be, and he ended up what he did did something crazy whacked him or hacked him or did something and and i ended up you know basically fighting panky and it was a good battle like i said we had a good scrap he's a tough guy and a good hockey player as well um and i'm and i like i said my fights with kevin it was always you know here we go again you yeah. know it was like <laughs> coming over and whacking and before i even turn around he's we're going <laughs> so just another one of those but yeah a couple there and like i said um IHL was a tough league back then as well, right? And yeah. you know, and and Prince Edward, or sorry, the American League. That was yeah. Prince Edward Island and the American League. Sorry, at that point. Yeah, a uh, couple other names: um, Mike Stevens, who was with the St. John Flames, and uh, guy you had fought a, f- a few times previous was the Colonel Brian Curran, who was with Portland at the time. Uh, anything, uh, anything about those two that ring a bell? I just remember, uh, I remember the fight. I remember fighting them. I don't remember the details of it, but again, both guys. Stevens was a, you know, a guy like myself. He loved to stir the pot up and, and a gamer. And, and Colonel, Colonel's, he, I got to know the Colonel a bit yeah. down the road and good guy. And, and yeah. just like I said, he just was a, he was another guy that, you know, you were going to have to stand up to and, and, and have a scrap with him if he did something stupid. So I'm sure I did something stupid and Colonel came in and <laughs> told me, told me why. <laughs> and, um, tell me uh, about the uh, game you had against Rochester on uh, January 5th, where you scored six points in the game. That has to be, uh, I mean, six points in, uh, in pro hockey is pretty fucking impressive. Yeah. I remember that. I think it might be still a, a St. John's record. I'm not sure at that point it was uh, most points in the game. It was just one of those nights. Uh, I think it was two goals and four assists. I think I had or whatever. And, and, um, just everything that I touched kind of went in the net or whoever I gave it to, they put it in the net. But again, that's the goals with some of the talent that was on that team who I would have been playing with. And, and like I said, we had a really good hockey team and it was just one of those nights, but yeah, it was a pretty special night. Uh, so you did play some games in Toronto towards the end of the season. Uh, this was going to be, uh, the, the main fight I wanted to ask you about. You alluded to it earlier. We were talking about the Mike Keene fight, but, uh, playing against your old team in Quebec, fighting a guy who I absolutely love. I, I think, uh, man, he, he's, he's a smaller stature guy, plays like he's 10 feet tall. I would take this guy on my team any day of the week. Uh, what do you remember about that game against Quebec and, uh, battling Bob Basson? Well, before we get to that, Bernsey was the one who brought me back up or got me back up after playing the whole year in the minors. And, and that was, like I said before, one thing about Pat Burns is he was pretty honest. And he told me when he sent me down after the first year that he would have loved to kept me on that team. And then I got cut the second year at a training camp. And when I got called up this time, he goes, you know, typical Pat Burns calls me and he goes, okay, I fucking got you back up here. Don't disappoint me. And, and, you know, so in other words, you know what, go out and do what you're supposed to do. So 
you know, give credit to Pat for getting yeah. me back and being able to stay the rest of the year and all through the playoffs that year. But yeah, the, the battle against Basson, my old team, the Nordiques, yeah. and, and, you know, just kind of a spur of the moment thing happened. We come together, I think we hit or give each other a whack hack. And next thing you know, and yeah, just a great toe to toe fight. And I know Bob Basson from the past uh, years uh, and just tough as they come, not a big guy, but fight anybody. And um, yeah, it was a pretty, to have a you know have it against my old team and, and you know it was a it was a pretty pretty good scrap. And how about credit to Pat Burns for just no bullshit? You know, like how about that? Like how many times over the years have you heard stories about coaches that just fuck with the players and and don't tell them what they expect, whatever it is? And you know, here's Pat Burns just basically telling you two or three sentences. This is this is it, and you just do your job. And, and that's one thing that you, I always hear about Pat Burns from, from the players. There were no games. He, he, you, uh, he basically told you what he expected and that was it. Yeah, no, there was no games at all. Like I said, it was, it was to the point. And um, he said, when he spoke to you, you listened and, and you went out and if you didn't do what he wanted you to do, you weren't going to be playing. Right. So, or you'd hear about it real fast. <laughs> uh, about, Two weeks after that game against Quebec, you played Winnipeg, and I think you fought Chris King twice. Was this the first time you met up with him since the broken jaw? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, fighting wise, yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. I believe so. I think we might have played against each other before, possibly. But yeah, a couple, couple scraps there. And like I said, Kinger was a tough guy and and, and built like a like a shit house yeah. too, brick yeah. shit house, just strong as anything. Um, but uh, again, just playing for Pat Burns. That was our role. He, you know, for the game, he would have said, "You guys, we want you going out there, hitting, bumping. You got to fight. You got to fight, right?" And so, I, you know, they had Domi and Kinger, and uh, I think, uh, um, you know, we we had a few run-ins, but again, just doing what you had to do to stay, hopefully, in the NHL. And then uh, you rounded out the year against, you know, you got the old, um, well, every every game, Norris Division game is a rivalry game. It's not like. You know, it was the same thing in the Adams division, but you can always point to Montreal and Boston as maybe being bigger rivals. But all the Chuck Norris division games were rivalry games, but especially against Chicago. Uh, you had a good fight with Patrick Poulin, and from the video I saw, it looked like you may have buckled him at the end. Yeah, I think that uh, I remember that one. Um, the only reason I remember that, I think my son was home a few years ago and threw some old hockey tapes yeah. and saw that one and, uh, <laughs> and, and said the same thing you just said. But yeah, you know, just the typical Toronto Chicago battle and 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 had a scrap with Poulin um like I said he was a good solid player tough you know he was tough as well I just fortunately I think I got one in at the end that kind of put him down a touch but um you know that didn't happen very often <laughs> with my fights <laughs> hey sometimes it's better to be lucky than good yeah that's right that's right now you mentioned that you were up for the playoff run, and I'm just curious. What you know, we talked about the media in Toronto. What is it like being with the Maple Leafs during a playoff run? It has to be like the regular season, but turned up to a hundred. Oh, it was. It was. It was crazy that year. Um, you know, like I said to you before, I, I roomed that uh, year with Doug Gilmore through the rest, last of the regular season playoffs, and he was obviously running the league at that point. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I get in six games and, and it was great. It was just, it was great. You know, I was in and out of the lineup, but I, it was just phenomenal to be there for that run. I, you know, we unfortunately lost to Vancouver, which if Dougie and Wendell wouldn't have run out of gas because they played 40 minutes a night almost, yeah. <laughs> I think we could have beat Vancouver and been in the Stanley Cup finals. But 
Yeah, you talk about a pressure cooker. Um, it was something to be there for that. It was something I'll never forget and grateful for. Uh, you know, just being there for those that playoff run was, you know, likely one of the highlights of my career. So did you just let the cat out of the bag? I mean, you said you roomed with Doug Gilmore. Did you take him aside and show him a few things? Is that really what made him that much better a player? No, I don't think that uh, was any help on my part at all. Uh, he was, yeah, he was just, every time he touched the puck that year, something yeah. was happening, uh, and, and especially during that playoff, man, I'll tell you. But um, he was a warrior, and like I said, if you want to, you know, want your kid or your son or your grandson to learn how to, you know, a couple guys on that team, Wendell and Dougie, how to compete and how to play, that's, that's two guys right there. So the, the season ends, uh, I guess you're a free agent. Uh, was there any talk about going back to Toronto? Because um, I see you ultimately signed with Edmonton. Yeah, we, we had negotiated with Toronto, and we were really looking for kind of, at that point, a one-way contract. Um, you know, and Toronto, I don't think, was willing to offer it or at that point. And Edmonton came up and made me a pretty good offer and ended up signing Edmonton. And then, of course, the lockout happened. We're locked out and ended up going and playing Detroit for the Vipers uh, after the lockout and, and kind of the shortened training camp. So kind of a wasted year that year for a lot of guys obviously everybody that with the lockout but yeah ended up signing Edmonton dead well, and you signed with them and uh, this is from memory I think you did have an initial training camp right because the lockout happened yeah. after training camp so you did go to camp with Edmonton when camp was over they assigned you to Cleveland but you didn't have to go because you were on a one-way correct yes that's right yeah okay and then yeah um, so we had yeah. no yeah. go ahead go ahead well, I was going to say, yeah, that's what happened. We went to training camp and and basically went through training camp. And then I was on a one-way and kind of got screwed over. And what happened was I got sent to Cleveland, but then they recalled. They basically recalled me and locked me out. Yeah. I would have been able to go play. They just didn't want to pay their guys any money. So there, I think I, it happened to me and a few other guys that year. So I basically got stuck being locked out and, you know, waited for the lockout down and then ended up going from, didn't go to Cleveland, went to Detroit after the second training camp. Yeah. How did that happen that um, you didn't end up in Cleveland? Did you ask to go to Detroit or they just sent you there? No. What happened was I think what I, I was basically, on, if I recall right, I was after the first training camp, I was on my way going to be assigned somewhere to Cleveland, but then they didn't assign me in the long run. They re, re it off the table because they 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 would have been paying the majority of the salary right. i think right? right so i think it was more a contract issue so not i never ended up going anywhere basically right because right? Right. the ihl played that whole year if i'm not mistaken right yeah mm -hmm. yeah so i ended up getting locked out and spent my time in cornwall training for the scott pearson all that time <laughs> that, that that's got to be daunting also yeah, well, yeah, especially with him, he was yeah. uh, he was built again like a house, and yeah. you know we trained every day and tried to hope that it would end sooner than later, but it was a long, long time. Now, why do you know why they were sending you to the IHL? Because they still had, uh, I guess, they still had Cape Breton, I think, at that point, or maybe they had moved on to Hamilton. Uh, do you know? Was it just because you were more of a veteran they wanted to send you to the IHL? Yeah, I think I was more of a veteran. I think I had might even had a clause in my contract that if. I did get sent down. It was to an IHL team. I'd have to look back, but I think it was somewhere around there. I just said it was going to be an IHL team. I was a little bit of an older guy, right, instead of going to Cape Breton. 
What was that experience like in Detroit? Because Detroit was one of those teams that people wanted to play with. They were an independent team. Uh, I think you played in the Palace. No, it was. Uh, yeah. It was a. It was one of those destinations. Like normally, Detroit's not a destination, the city itself. But as far as the IHL at the time, that was one of the places that people wanted to go. What, what do you remember from playing in Detroit? Oh, it was a good, good, good place to play. No doubt about it. Uh, we had a you know a fairly solid team there. Um, I did. I never really got on track there. Yeah. Duds was a coach. Uh, he's a tough coach to play for. Again, good coach. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I had some, in, I had an injury, I think I hurt my shoulder and, and missed a bunch of games. So I never really got on track there. So it was a little bit of a frustrating, tough run there. But um, like I said, it was a good group of guys. If you look on that roster, a yeah. lot of good players, a lot of good guys that I played with over the time there. Uh, and even though you weren't there that long, and we keep talking about these minor league characters, uh, your assistant coach that year was Robbie Nichols. Uh, yeah. What do you remember about Robbie? Because that's a guy that, if if you know anything about minor league hockey and characters, he's one of them. Oh yeah, Robbie's a character, and and like I said, him and Harpo Marcardi were the uh, Hardy were the assistant coaches, and 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 Robbie, uh, quite a character, and like good for him. He's been he's been around minor league sports forever, and put in his time, and 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 everything he does is for the good. I still. But I think I'm friends with him on Facebook, and I see the stuff he's doing now. Even uh, he's involved in minor league baseball, hockey, everything, right? And it's just that he's a he's a obviously a true ambassador to minor league sports. Um, but yeah, he was quite a character. He's a funny guy too. <laughs> and look at some of the names you played with there. there that team did not lack for toughness. You got uh, Johnny Craighead, Daryl Williams, uh, Mark Major, Al Conroy, small but but doesn't back down from anybody. Uh, Buchanan, underrated tough guy. Kevin Malgunis. Uh, I think Mike Hartman spent some time there. And then a guy named Daniel Shank, who everyone has an opinion on, and I guess it's much better to be his teammate than playing against him. Oh, yeah. There was a plenty of toughness, uh, no doubt, there. And uh, Perry Rick Dudley as a coach like yeah. those tough guys and tough teams. And, yeah, Shanker was a, Shanker was a beauty. Like I said, he was your ultimate uh, chip disturber and stir the pot. And, and But, you know, could – could score yeah. like crazy yeah. um but uh yeah nobody uh, you're better playing on his team because he could get <laughs> under the skin about get under anybody's skin basically <laughs> uh obviously you weren't you weren't there that long the only fight that i know of that you had that year uh you fought jeff christian who was with the lumberjacks at the time uh, do you remember and i think you fought him uh at least one more time in your career uh you remember fighting jeff I, I remember fighting him. I don't recall how it went. I, I know I messed up my shoulder that year, so I don't think there was much fighting going on for me at that point. But, right. uh, yeah, JC ended up uh, meeting back up with him in Houston and yep. the NHL yep. back years ago, years out later. But uh, um, good guy. Uh, I don't remember the fight that well. But, um, yeah, I, he, uh, he he was no stranger to that yep. though, either. So. No, him, uh, I think it's in the family. I, I remember Jeff from his days in Utica, too. And then, of course, you know, rest in peace, his brother Brandon. He was uh, yeah. he was notorious tough guy. So, uh, yes. uh, And then at the end of the year, he ended up getting traded to Phoenix for uh, Eric Levine. How did that come about? Uh, just things were going well in Detroit and wasn't playing a whole lot. And ended up, you know, I think I might even ask, my agent asked just if we could move it. So I ended up going to Phoenix and, you know, Finished the year there and had a real good run in the playoffs. Uh, good, you know, end up playing with Robbie Brown on a line and a few other guys and and really enjoyed my time there. Like I said, it was a good change for me. And um, like I said, uh, 
sometimes just a change of scenery to get the confidence back. And uh, you know, I really liked it there in Phoenix. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you because you played two games in regular season, had two goals, but then the playoffs, uh, nine games, eleven points. I almost, again, not not being there, not watching you that season, you know, night after night, it almost seemed like. Phoenix was almost like you were reborn again. It almost seemed like you, everything came back to you there. Yeah, just in my back and a change of scenery and getting to play with a guy like Brownie on a line at point at times and, and getting more ice time and more opportunity, right? So uh, it was fortunate for me to, you know, be able to get, get there for the rest of that year and, and get playing the playoffs again. It had been, you know, like I said, nothing better than playoff hockey. And I love the playoffs and a um, good group of guys and end up losing, obviously. But, uh, I think we end up I can't remember who we lost to that year but it might have been uh um uh butch goring and crew or whatever if i'm not mistaken they yeah. had a couple good yeah. runs and one oh, yeah. oh, yeah. in, in uh, twice there utah or whatever it was so um but yeah phoenix is a great place to play i mean you can't complain about the weather can't complain <laughs> about playing hockey in the desert <laughs> no and and with goring it they won it in denver and then the next year they in won denver, it in utah sorry, yeah. yeah it was yeah. back to back yeah. in two different cities yeah, Denver, that's right. And then when the season was over, uh, you just signed directly with Phoenix, correct? Yeah, I just signed an IHL, straight IHL contract. With Fe- actually, sorry, um, I, I signed um, with L.A., actually. Okay. Um, yeah, I signed with L.A. with an IHL uh, affiliate agreement, yeah. So I went. I did go to L.A.'s training camp and, and the next year and ended up, staying there for quite a while. I was close to making that team and then and, and got sent back down and had some injury troubles with, uh, with some blood clots there um, that kept me out of the, uh, kept me out of the lineup for a while. Yeah. I, I want to get to that in a moment. Uh, Cause that's pretty serious stuff. Um, when you were in Phoenix, you played with um, three guys. I want to ask you about one guy who I got to know very well. And unfortunately we've lost contact and I don't, you know, he was in the news, uh, maybe a year or two ago that he wasn't doing so well. But at the time, uh, what was it like playing with a young Matt Johnson? Oh, Matt, he was, uh, yeah, he was, a, you know, just a, he was a good kid. Uh, unfortunately, yeah, the things that have happened since then. Um, but just a tough man, big monster of a guy, uh, a lot of potential. And, and like I said, was sent more down to Phoenix just to yeah, kind of yeah. groom his game. And, and at that point, uh, it was coming along nicely. Unfortunately, yeah, some stuff happened, uh, after that, but um, yeah, just uh, it's, it's too bad to hear because he's a good kid. Yeah. Uh, also, Barry Potomsky. Oh, Potter, I yeah. love yeah. yeah. Potsy and I, uh, you know, we uh, we hung out a bit down there together. He was a good man, and like I said, rest in peace to him. Yes. Um, like I said, just a good team guy and another <laughs> tough tough guy. Nicknamed the Bomber as well, yeah. and uh, that's what you know. Like I said he we had some good characters down there, and he was a. Again, very funny guy, dry sense of humor, but funny as hell and uh, good team guy. And uh, you may have also just described the mangler, Mel Anglestead. What do you remember <laughs> about playing with Mad Mel? Well, Mad Mel, he was a good <laughs> good guy. Like I said, he uh, he would fight anybody, just a, a gamer to know tomorrow. But turned himself into a good, solid, tough hockey player uh, in the long run and played, played a long time up. Like, I think he got up a bit in the NHL for a little while, played some games, but mostly in the minors, but just a tough, tough man. Now, you mentioned it, and this is something that I really wanted to talk about because this is, you know, th- this show, we talk about the good times and talk about your old teammates and everything, but this, you missed three months this season. 
you had a blood clot in your calf. If I read it right, you had a blood clot in your calf that actually made its way to your lung. And I, I, you know, I know that obviously I'm not a doctor, you know, uh, but I know once it gets to that point, you could die from that. Do you remember, obviously you remember it, but how did you even find out in the first place that you had the blood clot? Well, it was a long process. I I played and playing and like I had had okay numbers. I was playing a lot, but I was, I was playing in pain almost every night in my leg and the trainers and myself couldn't figure out, even the doctors couldn't figure out what was going on. I was just, could hardly walk some mornings. I'd get myself ready to play the game, but could hardly get out of bed and walk. My calf was so sore. And so I went misdiagnosed for quite a long time. And then eventually what happened, I just could hardly breathe, you know, in practice and games. And so eventually they sent me to the hospital. Long and short, I had a pulmonary embolism. My lungs were like 90% full of clots. Jeez. And my leg, was, my leg was a solid clot from my calf right to my waist. So fortunately, knock on wood, yeah, I... Um, so I ended up missing three months on blood thinners and in the hospital for Christmas that year. And, you know, I, it was, a, it was basically a, a tough stretch, tough haul. And then uh, I ended up basically, you know, coming back after that. Um, and then ultimately later when I finished my career in Houston, I had another episode of a pulmonary embolism and, and stuff and ended up ended, ended my career. But yeah, pretty fortunate that it was eventually found, but pretty scary. Yeah. Wow, I can't even I can't even imagine that. You know, it's just uh, I don't even know how to follow that up. Like it's just it's just uh I'm just glad you're still here, man. That that is that is some scary shit. Yeah, it was pretty scary and no reason had every test done in 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 the world, US and Canada to find out if there's anything hereditary, but you know, most pointed back to just you know, trauma to the back of the legs, maybe getting on an airplane after getting slashed and flying all night. And, you know, no one really knew what happened or how it happened. But once you get one, you're susceptible to more time happening more. So they gave me one more crack at it. But after the second uh, bout of it, they're like, no, you're not going for three. So that's it. You're done. Yeah. Wow. Ken, you're you're a pretty good sized guy. I know we've talked about some of the guys you fought. They're They're pretty big. Um, you know, and you weren't small by any stretch, but I think with a lot of guys from your generation, when you started, you were one of the bigger guys. And by the time you were done, it was just a whole new set of Terminators that had come through the league. And this year in Phoenix, you played with two guys who I don't think you could say their names without saying big before them. And I want to ask you about both of them. Uh, one is Steve McKenna. And one is Mike McWilliam. What are your memories of playing with those two giants? Well, they're just, they were just monsters compared. You're right. Like, you know, I was 6'2 and 200 or 210 or whatever. And these guys are just towered above everyone, right? And both big, strong guys. And, um, you know, they're both tough, uh, you know. But like I said, it, that was kind of the changing of the guard. It was like... Um, you know, the size of those guys, there wasn't too many people that were going to mess with them. So that was the kind of the next level of the the heavyweight big guys kind of taking over, right? Like it was that the six, four plus guys. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, another guy you played with that year who's gone on to a really, really great coaching career and um, someone I'm, I'm very interested in because he's coaching uh, the Islanders farm team in the American League and he's been there for a very long time. And uh, 
Uh, I, I think he's great. He was here. He was up here for a little bit as an assistant. Now he's taking care of the farmhands down in Bridgeport. Uh, what was it like playing with Brent Thompson? Uh, Brent was a good guy. Like I said, he's a he's a funny guy. Tough, tough, steady, stay home kind of defenseman. Uh, like I said, good teammate, really good teammate. And yeah, he's had a great you know great great coaching uh, career. And obviously, he's passed he passed his talents on, but a little more talent than than he had to his son, who's <laughs> having oh, a phenomenal, My God. phenomenal year. <laughs> Um, nothing against nothing against Brent. He 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 was a good player, but he, the the talents that uh, I think his son got, uh, you know, that's something else. The way he's playing, that's it's absolutely incredible. And, and I'm sure that Tomer would agree with you. He doesn't know, you know. I mean, this Tage is unbelievable, and you know, I, like I'm sort of I, I'm sort of like uh, old school romanticized uh, sports kind of guy. And I hope that Tage continues this, and I really hope that once he gets a few years in and he's commanding the big bucks, I'd love to see someone like that stay with Buffalo and, you know, maybe spend his entire career there because I, I just like – like you think a guy like Steve Eiserman, uh spending his whole career in Detroit, and to have a player with the potential that Tage has right now, it would just be great for a guy like that to maybe spend his entire career in Buffalo if that's what he wants. Oh yeah, for sure. Like I said, you you know, it's kind of time time that organization turned the corner a little bit, and like I said, uh, they they seem to get some good players and they take off and leave. So hopefully, hopefully he stays there. But yeah, he's a talent. He's a big, big, big kid too. Yeah. And one other player I want to ask you about, most of the guys I've asked you about have been uh, on the tougher side, but being an American, um, you know, this player obviously always is near and dear to all of uh, American hockey fans' heart. You got to play a little bit with Neil Broughton in Phoenix. Uh, what was it like playing with Neil? Uh, I don't remember too much. Played a little bit with him. Uh, yeah. You know, obviously he was a you know, good, good player and, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, been around a long time, but uh, he was there a very short time. I think it was, I'm not sure how many games he ended up staying there or how many I played with him. Mm-hmm. I, um, I'm not sure that might've been the year I was hurt uh, for a prior. So I didn't, mm-hmm. didn't get a lot of the, a lot of time or whatever, but um, yeah, he was obviously in a, a lot of good players coming down to that league at that point from the NHL. And you had an opportunity to play with some really good hockey players. Right? Yeah. Um, so, I'm fortunate enough to call Mike McWilliam a friend, and when I uh, when I reached out to him to ask uh, ask about you, he told me a story. I'm gonna I'm gonna read to you everything he wrote, and then I'll get it from your side. Uh, Max said uh, about the only thing that comes to mind was when I speared Robbie Laird, and then gave uh, gave uh, he gave the in between period speech with a big black stick streak across his chest uh, and up over his shoulder by his ear. I think it was Kenny that told me the story when I played there the next year, right after I came to the rink one day and found out that our current coach had been fired and Robbie was our new coach. Uh, funny, but this was the year, this is the first time we ever discussed it. Uh, and I, he's talking about him and, and Robbie, I believe. Uh, he said, yeah. we're, we're both on uh, HMI Alumni Chapel uh, every couple of weeks with Paul Baxter, Al Secord, Ryan Walter, etc. And he was speaking one day. After he finished, guys were sharing their Robbie Laird stories. So I dropped that one. It was pretty freaking funny to hear his side of it, actually. Uh, He said, Robbie and I never spoke during that season except for basic instructions. Just kept it professional. To his credit, he never held it against me as a coach. Uh, From what he remembers, it all started when there was an incident in front of their bench. And all of a sudden, someone hit me in the side of the head. I can't remember if it was a foot or a punch. But I looked up and saw Laird scrambling back to the top of the bench, so I pitchforked him as hard as I could. 
it was either Kenny or Dave Tomlinson that was telling the story of when he came into the room between periods, said they all had to keep their heads down throughout the whole speech because they were trying not to burst out laughing, said it looked like he'd come within an inch of his life, uh, inch of his life being skewered. So uh, do you remember that incident? I remember the incident. I don't know who it was that did it, uh, you know, that hit Mark, but I, I remember the incident. But yeah, like Robbie was a pretty intense guy and, and so was, was Mark and, uh, and, and I do remember that, but yeah, it was, um, you know, it's something you're like, you don't know what to do in a situation like that in between periods. Right. But, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I'm sure with, with Robbie, he, he did, I don't think he'd ever back down from anything. And we, there's a few other incidents where as a coach, he got pretty riled up and some near skirmishes on the bench or near the bench. So, um, but yeah, um, yeah, I don't know if uh, if that would happen nowadays game. I don't know if the, how big a suspension that would be. But. <laughs> uh, we'd have to start with at least a season. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah, for sure. But, yeah. Uh, so. And again, like like I said, uh, like I've always been saying, this is your second to last season. You ended up with uh, 53 points in 72 games. Uh, you led the team in scoring. You led the team in penalty minutes. And you made an appearance that season in the IHL All-Star game. Uh, what was that experience like? That was pretty cool. Um, you know, I, I'd been, I never had ever, you know, not played an all-star game. You obviously play in all-star games in junior and, and stuff like that. But the, the play, to get a chance to play in the IHL all-star game, when you look at the talent that was on both teams that year, it was pretty scary. Um, you know, and we had some good, you know, we had some good solid players in, in you know, in, in Phoenix. And I was just fortunate enough to go. You know, we had Marinucci, Dave Thompson, Chevy. You know, there's a lot of good players. but. Um, you know, to get the opportunity to go to Grand Rapids and play, and I, some of my buddies were there. Steve Malte was playing in it uh, at that time for the Chicago Wolves. So um, it was a good weekend, and, and, and they did it up. I, all I remember is they did it up phenomenally well. Um, like, you know, it was almost like you were an NHL All-Star game, the way they handled us and that. So it was, a, it was an honor and, and, you know, something that I won't forget, that's for sure. Now, I can't imagine – after being in the IHL for a few seasons and not only the IHL, but Phoenix, uh, the idea of heading back to the American league was something you were looking forward to, but that's exactly where you found yourself later that season. Uh, you were traded, uh, for David Emma and you ended up spending the remainder of the season in Providence. Um, as someone that had, you were a veteran at that point, I get, and so was Emma, I think at that point, um, yeah. did, did they come to you before the trade and, and let you know what was going down or were you caught off guard? Well, no, I, I, if I remember correctly, we were, you know, it was the end of the year. We weren't, you know, weren't great in Phoenix. And, and I, I know it was kind of, I was, you know, LA and Boston had worked something out, you know, as a minor league type of trade. So I, I believe it, you know, it came to me and said, would you be, would you be willing to go do that? And, you know, I looked at it as an opportunity to go and play in a good team in the playoffs, which we did have a pretty good team there. And, yeah. In yeah. Providence, and, and and Bobby Francis was. I talked to, I believe, Bobby before I went, and just kind of talked about what was going to happen. So I, you know, it was a welcome move, and and like I said, you don't want to move. Yeah, you don't want to leave a place like Phoenix and go to. I went from the beautiful sun to to a foot of snow in Providence, right? So, <laughs> but you know, we had an okay playoff, but we didn't get what we wanted to get to, and uh, and and it was just it was an. Like I said, I had a good last nine games there, and the playoffs uh, wasn't as much of a, you know, my type of playoff, I guess. Like I said, I had one goal, three assists, so I kind of, in 10 games, which I, I felt like I contributed more, but, 
you know, it just didn't go my way in the playoffs that year. And like I said, we ended up losing out, but it was a, it was a good experience for sure. What was it like playing with uh, Kevin Sawyer? I'm a big fan of his and uh, he's gone on to some pretty good success in the broadcast booth now. Yeah, I've seen him on the podcast, but I didn't know where uh, Kevin had ended up. Uh, this player. Yeah, he was he was a good good guy. And, you know, he's a tough guy and and honest honest tough guy, right? Honest yeah. player and and really good guy. But um, yeah, I didn't know where he had ended up until I saw it a little while back that he was doing uh, broadcasting. He does a good job of it too. Absolutely. Yeah, I always like when when you guys end up in places where uh, you could sort of. You know, and obviously you have limits to how much old school you could put into a, like Kevin with Winnipeg, you could put into a broadcast, but it's always nice to see the guys that, that really earn their paycheck get into broadcasting. And maybe people are like, I don't know who this guy is. And then you go and research him and you go, oh, you know what? He had a pretty good career and he was a pretty tough guy to boot. Yeah, no, he was, a, like you said, he was a, a tough guy. And the, the American League was a tough league back then too, as uh, was the IHL, but you know, you look on that team, you know, we had a, you know, Andre Roy, Andre Roy was there for a little while too, which is, he's a, he's a piece of work, that guy. And, uh, and, uh, and, you know, had some Tim. So there were some tough guys in that team. Marty Samard was there as well. So, you know, we had a good group of guys and uh, it was fun. We had a fun team there. You got any good Andre Watt stories? I've heard him on a few podcasts. He seems like an absolute, I, don't, I say clown, but in a good way, like a guy you'd want on your team. If anyone's going to pull shenanigans, it's going to be Andre, isn't it? Yeah, I just I remember being there with him briefly that year. I don't he didn't play in the playoffs, so I can't remember what happened if he got traded or called up or what happened to him. But uh, just a young kid, but just funny as hell. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I've seen a few of his uh, things on some different podcasts where he's he's hilarious. Some of the mm-hmm. stuff he did and went on and you know went on won a Stanley Cup and in, in Tampa. And like I said, he was. Uh, he was a big kid and, and funny as hell. And you also played with a guy that I, I was a big fan of and someone who I really miss that style today. And uh, the, the dinosaur in me brings it up at least once a game when I watch games now about how I miss that punishing presence on the blue line. And that was uh, Bill Armstrong, who now runs the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah, Billy was a, he's a good guy too. Big, big, big man. And, and yeah, he was, uh, I sat next to him in the locker room actually. And <laughs> him and Peter Laviette, I think we're uh, right. Me and we're side by side, but, uh, Lavi, uh, Lavi was a you know, good steady stay home defense on that team. But Billy was a big, tough guy and, and you know, played hard and just a, another, another guy that was there, you know, large, like everything was big on him, his hands, his body, everything. He's just a big, big man. And he always wore the black mouthpiece, I believe. It gave him a little more intimidation out there on the ice. Yeah, that, that's right. He had uh, he could have been yeah one of the few guys I remember uh, wearing that. And <laughs> you know, kind of after he started wearing, I think more guys, more guys started wearing it. it was quite the, just to give that a little intimidation factor. <laughs> yeah. Now you fought. You know, talk about the AHL and, and tough league. I, I see that you had three fights that year, uh, two against some AHL veteran guys like Mark Potvin and Terry Virtue. And then in the playoffs, a guy that usually was up and down and Jason Doig. Uh, do you remember any of those fights? I don't remember them real quick. I remember fighting, uh, I think I remember fighting Terry and, uh, and Potsy there, but yeah. um, the one in the playoffs, uh, likely because I was just pissed off at myself because it wasn't <laughs> playing well. So I got in a fight or something just to try and turn things around. That's, that's one thing I, you know, whenever things weren't going well, I, Sometimes that's what I tried to do, whether you'd win or lose or tie or whatever, didn't matter, just to try and get yourself going a bit, right? But 
that's like what happened in the one in the playoffs. I don't remember it greatly, but uh, I obviously know, remember playing against the like, but I don't remember the fight that great. Uh, and then after the season, you're a free agent, and uh, you went back. You were able to pick your destination, and I see that you uh, you picked another warm weather destination in the IHL, going to Houston. What was that experience like? Oh, it was, yeah, that was a great experience. I had some options. I, I didn't know what to do that summer. I had some options of looking overseas or, or staying over this way and and um, ended up, you know, signing in Houston. Um, uh, you know, it was, a, it was a move a little bit. You know, my my ex-wife was from Houston or from Texas, so maybe going back there. I think the one thing that sold it all was, you know, Dave Tippett, just, you know, phenomenal coach and, you know, just go back there and we had the team that was put together. It was pretty special there. And like I said, uh, ended up winning the Turner cup later as a coach after I, you know, was forced to retire, but I had a great year that year. Um, fun playing with that group of guys. I wish I could have got to play in the playoffs because, you know, I, I missed the playoffs because of the injury, but we had some, some characters on that team and some little bit of everything, some unbelievable skill and then a lot of gritty, tough guys that could play. I'm guessing if things were tense in the locker room, someone like Dave Marset could kind of loosen things up. I mean, you talk about characters. Uh, Moose on that team, I mean, he is – I was fortunate enough to meet him a few times. And uh, all I could tell – the one thing I remember about Dave besides just how big he was, the guy always had a smile on his face. Yeah, yeah. He was – a. The Moose was a funny guy. Like I said, he in his broken English and and telling jokes and just just a funny guy to keep things loose, right? And and have your back no matter what. And you know, he he tell you, you know, you, you know, he's broken English. You want me to take care of that guy for you? <laughs> you know, like uh, you know, he's just that type of player, right? And, um, and we had some, some guys on that team, like I said, that were were great in the locker room to keep things loose. And when when they hit the ice, so the switch went off. So. Um, and that was a guy like him, like whenever, whenever, when, once he hit the ice, it was business. And, and just a couple other names I want to throw out there. You know, like I said, my goal with this, with this show is really, you know, get your story out there, but there's other guys out there that you just don't hear much about. And I'm looking at some of these guys like Trent Cull, uh, Krupke, Mike Yo. I mean, Mike Yo, people know now, I think more as a coach than anything, but these were hard nosed, gritty guys that did the job and, you know, you're making decent money in the IHL, but you're not making NHL money, and these are guys that just went out and did their job night after night. Oh, yeah, no doubt. Like, uh, Gord Krupke lived right around the corner from me there in Houston, and uh, just a great guy. And, and like I said, just your steady Eddie guy, uh, unbelievable team guy. Um, you know, he didn't have to fight a lot. He played hard, played tough. Uh, Trent Cole, and Again, another guy that just flew under the radar a bit and, like, was a solid D-man for us. And, and he was, you know, he was only young at that time. Yeah. But um, just a tough, stay-home, steady guy, great teammate again. Um, and then Yozy as well. You know, Mike Yo, uh, I, I loved the way Yozy played. He, you know, played, played in Junior and Sudbury just sort of like I did and where he came from. And and just he he unfortunately had, you know, the injuries affected his game and stuff like that too, but he would go through the wall for you as a player. And I think that's what Tip and Dave Barr loved about a lot of the guys on that team as, you know, they'd go through the wall, they would do whatever it took to win. And those are some guys that would do that for you for sure. And one of those guys who fits that bill is someone we've talked about already. And after years and years of battling, Brent Hughes, you finally find yourself in the same locker room with him. Uh, I guess this is where the friendship developed. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Husey was again. He lived in the same neighborhood as us, and uh, and 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 like I said, just a gamer and you know a good player. Let alone just a good player, and you get up and down the ice. And if you're looking for that big hit out of nowhere, he just run over somebody and and change the tide and and back it up, right? And and like I said, he was just a good veteran presence. Um, like you know, like I said, he was one of the older guys, I believe, on that team. Uh, uh, you know, I. I think I was, yeah, 29. He was in a couple 30-year-olds in that team. So they were the, you know, at the end of their NHL career, working their way down. But, but again, it was almost like a semi-NHL. We, we also, we commented that many times during the year that we could have likely played a, an NHL team and did okay against them, right? So. Absolutely. <laughs> um, that year, your la- what ended up being your last year, fifth on the team and scoring third in PIMS. Uh, it seemed like it. It seemed like uh, whenever you played Orlando, uh, maybe you mixed things up a little bit. Uh, from what I see, you had your rematch with uh, with Bill Armstrong, Little Bill, um, yeah. Pat Neaton. I'm wondering what Pat Neaton must have done to get you pissed off because he's not necessarily someone that goes looking for it. And I'm wondering if your fight with Chad Dameworth was a result of you going after Pat Neaton. Yeah, it could have been very well. I don't remember them all that far. Yeah. That's a long time back. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I, like I said, I. I, I remember the one with Art with Army with Bill Armstrong. That was just a kind of a rivalry one, you know. Yeah. It was almost common nature that the two of us took each other, and something would happen. But uh, I don't recall what happened. But yeah, you're likely right that uh, picking on a guy like Neaton, uh, likely Dameworth, <laughs> Dameworth was the one coming after me after that. <laughs> Probably the, the the three biggest names I, I see on the out of the list I have. I don't know if you remember any of these. Uh, one was an up-and-coming kid who ended up with a pretty good NHL career, Sean Hines, uh, with Kansas City. And then two veteran guys, Robin Bawa and Kenny Sabrin. Uh, any of those jog the memory? Oh, yeah, for sure. I remember, uh, yeah, there. I remember all of those, actually, all tough, gritty guys. And um, I'm trying to remember, yeah, Bawa was, was Kansas City, right? Is that where uh, it was? Fort Wayne. Fort Wayne. Hines Fort Wayne, was Kansas sorry. City. Yeah, Heinz is Kansas, Fort Wayne. So, yeah, I remember those battles. Like we said, every any given night, that was a, such a tough league. You had to stand up yourself. And not only was it kind of the middleweight type of guys like myself, then you had your next level of guys that were fighting as well. So, you, you, you know, you didn't want to have your head down, and you always had to have your head on the swivel in that league because there was, any given night there were some tough players coming, out, coming out over the boards, that's for sure. And then you mentioned it, uh, you know, you went into detail a little while ago, and then you just mentioned it again now. Uh, I'm guessing you had another flare-up with the blood clots late in the season. Is that is that what happened? Yeah, it was, it was um, just right, at, right before playoffs. I just, you know, I'd noticed the pain in my, my, my one leg and, and kind of my foot again and then groin. And, you know, I ended up playing the one game uh, that year in the playoffs. I think, I'm trying to remember, I'm trying to remember who beat us out that year. Um, it was, uh, but we ended up losing in four games or whatever. But um, I only got to play the one playoff game, and unfortunately, you know, I was one of the one of the captains on the team and felt terrible, right? Like yeah. I couldn't get out there and help the guys, and spent I think most of the time in the hospital. So it was just one of those things, um, you know, it happened, and there was nothing I could do about it. Uh, it was one of those injuries, and it was kind of at the point where I was explained to the, from the Houston doctors that, you know, it's not a, an injury, it's a life threatening injury. So kind of shut me down. And um, yeah, after that, I, I, you know, I want to come back and play again, like any, any other guy, but at that point, you know, two pulmonary embolisms uh, in your lungs, they kind of 
said we're going to need three doctors to three doctors to give you the okay to play again. And basically, I got no doctors right. to give me the okay to play again, even on blood thinners. Like nowadays, I think it's kind of, I see some guys that have had uh, blood clots in their legs and that, you know, go off for a little while, get healthy, and then come back. And, I, I you know, so it's a, changed a little bit now. But back then, there was no way after two PEs they were going to let me uh, let me come back. So I'm not ending the interview here because I do want to get into your coaching, but how are you today? Is this, is this something that is, that you're, I don't know if you're ever free from them. I guess, like you say, you're more susceptible to them, but, but how are you today with the blood clots? Oh, I, I, you know, knock on wood, everything's fine. Like I said, it's one of those things I just take, I've been taking blood thinners ever since then. So I, you know, obviously I, I don't play too much. I'll play the odd charity game now, or, you know, it's one of those things you just have to be careful. You don't, get cut bad or get, yeah. you know, you don't want to take a big fall or something, but I'm on just a, on a dose of blood thinners and, you know, normal. It's just, you know, it's one of those things that you just can't, you know, any heavy contact or anything like that where I would have been able to play sports. It just wasn't allowed. And the biggest thing was, I think nowadays, if you get a blood clot, I've heard of guys getting them in their shoulders and their, in their legs and that obviously. And, but whenever you're talking in your lungs, it's, they, they're pretty, you know, it's, it's a pretty dangerous situation, so it's tough to come back from that. So, you know, we get into coaching after that, and, then, you know, no regrets now. Obviously, I would have liked to play. To play. <laughs> I had a three-year contract, I think, in Houston. I was looking to stay three years yeah. there, not just yeah. one. <laughs> right. I was going to ask you about that because you ended up being an assistant coach the next year. So is that the kind of thing where you kept your contract and then you just coached, or did they rework it? or? Well, no, yeah, my contract would have been just, you know, obviously injured back then. It would have been voided in that right, okay. uh, voided contract. So I ended up, you know, it was a tough, tough time in life. Didn't know what to do. What's the next step? They always felt there was always a lot of teams I was a captain or an assistant on. So, you know, Tip actually just, you know, asked me, like, what would you feel, you know, helping out coaching? You know, can't pay you a whole lot, but right. get your foot in the door, right? And I said, no, that sounds good. I'll you know, I'll do that. So I ended up, you know, and all, you know, all the credit to Barzi and, and Dave Tippett, Dave Barr and Dave Tippett for giving me the opportunity. But just to learn from those two guys is a great pair to learn from to get your foot in the door on the coaching side. And um, so that's kind of how that started. And it was just kind of the eye in the sky and on the ice during practice and stuff like that. So the rest of the interview, for the most part, we're going to be doing more name association with some of the players that you coach throughout the rest of your career. Um, I think some of these guys are probably some of the biggest characters I've ever cr come across. So, uh, you know, again, if you just, uh, any, any good stories or any thoughts or chuckles or whatever it is that come to mind, let me know. Uh, with Houston, uh, there's three guys I want to ask you about. Uh, first one is Billy Heward. Yeah. Yeah. Billy Heward was, uh, you know, he was a hard guy to play against. I hated playing against yeah. Billy Heward. <laughs> I hated playing against. And then when he was on our team, obviously a little different story. Just a bowling ball tough yeah. guy, right? Run right over top anybody, and and obviously uh, as tough as nails, as tough as they come. You you've watched some of his, you know, some of his scraps. He he knocked some pretty pretty good big guys down in his day. So yeah, he, Billy was a big tough guy, and again, uh, someone he didn't want to be out there against very often. Uh, a guy who at this point must have been like a super veteran, and uh, is now I, I'm very happy. Uh, that he's coaching the Islanders here is Lane Lambert, someone who I imagine you may have crossed paths with in the Quebec organization. 
Yeah, Lane and I actually lived together. I was my first roommate in Halifax. Me and Lane moved in together down in Halifax. It may be seconds. I think it was seconds. Scotty Gordon was my an old Islanders yeah. guy, too. Scotty Gordon was the first roommate, I think. Um, Lane got sent down, and Scott got traded or went up or something for a short time. So me and Lane lived together for a while. But, yeah, Laner, Laner, great guy, just thought the game so well. And, obviously, it shows he's, he's been coaching forever now at a high level. And great to see him doing a pretty good job with the Islanders for what they got there, for sure. And and the next guy I'm going to ask you about is someone who I think would have fit in pretty well with some of those those old Halifax teams. I think he would have you could have placed him right in there and you wouldn't have missed a beat, Eric Bolton. Yeah, again, another tough guy. Uh, he would have been you know fit right in with those teams, like I said. He and then went on after that, like was Buffalo, right? Buffalo, and he spent some time here too. Yeah, in the island there. So yeah. another yeah, we had. There was no shortage of tough guys looking to play at that point. And like I said, all those guys were, were tough, but they could, you know, it wasn't like they were just one shift uh, wonders, right? They, yeah. It wasn't a one shift, go out, fight, get off. They, you know, they, they could play and intimidate guys out there and change the flow of a game in a hurry. And obviously the goal of, uh, of, of a professional athlete is to win a championship. And uh, you weren't able to do that. And your career was unfortunately cut short, but first year out of the box as a coach, you guys won the Turner cup. What was that experience like? Oh, it was, it was, it was unbelievable. It was such a, it was such a run, a close run, like every series, uh, you know, even the Orlando series, seven games um, against a high, highly powered, great team there as well. Yeah. And that, you know, and then Chicago, my bull buddy, you know, Steve Maltese to win, you know, to beat that team. Um, just so much talent in that league at that time. Um, like I said, and, and like as I just, I would have given my left arm to be playing in those yeah. finals and win it, but to, to get the opportunity and, and celebrate with the boys. A lot of those guys I'd played with the year before, and they know how, they knew how hard it was for me to have to hang them up and not play anymore. And uh, like I said, to celebrate with them was a fun time. It's weird, right? You put a, an independent hockey team in Orlando, Florida, and guys just always seem to want to play there. Orlando always <laughs> had these great teams. It's it's very weird. You don't have to do much recruiting when you go, hey, you interested in coming to Orlando? Well, exactly. And the same, yeah, back then, you know, you had Orlando, Houston, mm-hmm. San Antonio. There's a lot of good places you could, could go and play and be in the – it was the sunny weather seemed to attract a lot of players. Yeah, it's weird how that works, right? You get a lot of players from Canada that had these brutal winters over the course of their lives, and all of a sudden, hey, there might be an opening in Orlando or Houston, and uh, yeah, no problem. Yeah, exactly. It was it's crazy how how everybody just loved the loved the uh, loved the heat. So I'm assuming you ended up in Austin uh, via Brent Hughes, I would imagine. Yes, yeah. So what happened is Hughesy ended up. Um, he met a gentleman. Uh, who ended up was going to buy, he's from Houston, but he was a big, big uh, fan of the team. Uh, and basically Brent got to, got in, got in touch with him and they were talking and next thing you know, he was going to buy Austin and he was, he was, he was you know, thinking, oh, I'm, you know, maybe play some more, but not, but then he's uh, try coaching. So John uh, McVaney had bought the team in Houston, great guy. And, um, or bought the team in Austin, sorry, and asked Brent the coach. And then usually, you know, I, I was informed basically that, you know, there wasn't going to be budget next year to stay in Houston as a coach just because it wasn't enough money. So Brent brought me down there as an assistant and, and we had some pretty good teams, some characters on those teams down there in the old, uh, the old Whipple, the WHL, yep. WPHL. And, 
And yeah, we had some good teams, man. Good teams. We end up losing to Sheds, Doug Shed, and my old buddy Sheds, uh, who had some better teams in Memphis. <laughs> <laughs> well, <coughs> excuse me, I didn't mean to cough in your ear. So again, I want to throw out some names here. Um, some guys that maybe uh, fans of the NHL may not have ever heard of, but uh, I think they're all pretty tough in their own right. And uh, first guy I want to start with is Sean Legault. Yeah, Legs was a tough man. He was uh he was a loose loose wire. Like he thing with Legs, he was he he was a good fighter and, and tough down there in that league. But he also, you know, he, he was we 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 Brett and I got him, I, I feel like he, he he turned into a good player as well. Got some time in the American League call ups. But um yeah, if you pushed him the wrong way, he was one of those guys you had to be careful, like along the 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 bird dog Smitty kind of type of player if you did the wrong thing. You had to not only worry about fighting them, but you had better watch out the rest of the game because yeah. you might be getting a few whacks here and there. <laughs> I, I think the good thing with, with, uh, in this league, you know, you, you're, you're a rung or two down from the American league of the IHL, but, um, with, with coaches like yourself and Brent Hughes, when you look at your resumes, as far as, you know, pro games played and NHL games played, it really gives these guys an opportunity where if, if they want to learn, how to play the game. I mean, obviously at this point, most of these guys can handle themselves physically. And again, that's also something guys like you and Brent can give them tips on. Um, but you have the opportunity to, and, and you talk about Doug Shedden. It's one thing about these lower minor leagues. The coaches are well-established NHL coaches. It really does give the players an opportunity to pick up some tips. Oh, for sure. Yeah, there was, you know, a lot of the guys that were coaching had played previously. You talked with Shedney, Husey, myself. There's a lot of guys. And, you know, these guys, they want to hear the stories, the NHL stories and stuff like that. And, you know, want to hear some things going on in that regard. But the funny thing is, you know, they they did want to, as much as they were down there just to make a paycheck and, and have some fun, they, they still wanted to learn and still wanted to play the game. So, you know, guys like you know, you still had some teaching moments, and we tried to run it as professional as you could, um, which we did. Uh, we had a great owner. You know, he was a good, solid coach, and, and we kind of had we we kind of ran it. You know, Austin. Everybody wanted to go to Austin, obviously, because it's a great city. Mm-hmm. But we ran it as a you know similar to what we try to run an American League team as or an IHL team, and our guys bought in, and we had some good seasons there for sure. Uh, another guy I wanted to ask you about was Ryan Pisiak. Yeah, yeah, Ryan. He was a again. He was a, a minor league tough guy, uh, and again, another guy that you know could go off the rails. And, and 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 you know, he was good to have on your team, but he didn't want to have to play against them. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, easy, good kid. Obviously, um, you know, had some up and down times, but like I said, all in all, like I said, I like the kid. Good kid. You just had to keep him straight and narrow, and and like I said, he but he would he'd be an effective player on on your team. Now another Ryan I want to ask you about is Skinny Anderson, and I've heard him in a few uh, interviews. And uh, again, I, I think most of the guys I'm going to ask you about, they're all tough and they're all characters. Uh, he seems to be someone that would be uh, interesting to hang out with. Oh yeah, he was a he was a beauty. That's all I'll say about him. Is he was a beauty. <laughs> um, yeah, Skinny was. Like I said, he was, that's what his skinny was his name. And that's how he was. He was a tall, lanky, skinny kid. And, but wouldn't back down from anybody and, and, and stick up for your team. Was he the most talented guy? No, but he would play hard, play forward, play defense, play wherever we needed him. Um, but yeah, just, uh, 
just a classic. That guy, I like this. He, he would keep the room loose. He would be keeping the guys loose. I'm sure at the bars after <laughs> he was quite a character. <laughs> and uh guy from the from old Western league boy, Josh Mazer. Yeah. Josh Mazer. Uh, Maze was like, that was a, he was a good old tough boy there. Like I said, he played a bit in the Western hockey league and then come, you know, came to us and he was a tough man. Like I said, he, um, he beat up a lot of guys and, Again, just a, a guy that didn't get a chance, you know, much past that level. But like I said, was just a, a good, honest, tough guy. And uh, how did the? Um, so I, I'm guessing the your next coaching stops. It was, um, you know, maybe just a better opportunity. Like I'm imagining, uh, well, Indianapolis, you get the opportunity to be the head coach. So I'm assuming that yeah. that's where that opportunity came about. Correct. Yes, exactly. I just uh, spent a few years, you know, with Husey and, and we had, you know, you have good teams, you know, you hopefully can move on. And I was fortunate enough to to get a job in Indy and um, ended up going there. And we had, a, we had, they were coming off a pretty terrible year and ended up going there and turning the program around. And we had a great, again, a great year and a great run and ended up losing again to Shedsy <laughs> with Memphis. <laughs> Go figure. But um, yeah, good, great city. Uh, loved coaching there, um, and, and I had some success. Before you uh, ended up back in junior coaching, uh, it, there must be a big difference between coaching in places like Austin and Corpus, and then a place like Indianapolis, which is a traditional hockey city. They have the you know the long tradition of uh, IHL hockey down in Indianapolis. You could probably tell the difference between all those cities, right? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like, you know, there people, Indianapolis, obviously Hawk city knew the game, yeah. knew what they expect. Corpus Christi in, in Austin at that time, hockey was just becoming popular. Now Corpus has a junior team that mm-hmm. plays out of the North American league there, North American junior league. But um, yeah, it was more educating the fans and they loved seeing the fight. That's the yeah. big thing down there. Laredo Corpus, Terry Ruskowski always had tough teams in Laredo, won championships, uh, uh, we had some great rivals there, so there was always battles. There was always t- so the fans loved that aspect of the game. Now that they're educated across those states now, and and those cities that weren't as educated before, it's definitely taken a, a whole new new role, right? How people view the game. Yeah, you got to get something to bring them in the door, and then once they're in the door, then you could show them the other stuff. That's right. That's right. So now they appreciate it. They still want the fights. Don't yep. get me wrong. I, you still you, they still want to see the battles <laughs> down. But uh, they they know the game a little bit more and how it's played for sure. So a couple of guys that you coached in Indy, uh, Kevin Pop and Ken Boone. Tell me about yeah. those two guys. Well, Popper was like I said, he was a mean man. He was uh, just a big tough guy, quiet guy. Didn't you know? Didn't say a whole lot. Um, but um, you know, like tough as they come. And then Ken Boone was the opposite. He said a lot, and <laughs> he, he would he you know he would go out and go through you know go through the wall again and just. Tough, a little bit crazy, a little bit of a crazy guy dealing with suspensions, stuff like that here and there. But, uh, yeah, both tough guys uh, for sure. And then I see you tapped into the Quebec pipeline again. You had Mario Doyan as a player assistant coach the second year there. Yeah, Mario and I played together in Halifax uh, and good guy. And he was still playing at that time and brought him in. And like you said, he was winding down. But, you know, at that level, he wanted to play, he could turn a game around in an awful hurry. We had some pretty good players there. Mario, Bernie John, uh, Jason Baird, rest in peace. Uh, yeah. It's all player for me. Um, so we had some, we had some talented guys there for sure. Yeah. Remy Roy was there too, right? 
Yeah, for a short time, yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, we had some, like I said, there's some talented guys coming down, and we, we were, you know, we had fortunate to have some pretty good team but ran into an even better team in Memphis. Uh, not not a bad way to start your first year as a head coach. You win coach of the year. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> and, and that was, you know, that was an honor, just one of those things where you voted amongst your peers, right? And, you know, for me to get that honor, you know, it – it helped that, you know, the players went in and turned around a last place team into, uh, you know, into a first or second place team, whatever we ended up in that year. But, um, yeah, great honor, uh, you know, but it's special being voted upon from the other coaches. Uh, then you move on to Corpus. Uh, one player won that. Oh, Corpus, now, your first year there, did you take over as head coach two games in? Uh, I was trying to figure that out. It looked like Brian Elliott coached two games, or uh, what, what's the story with that? Well, I was suspended, I think. I got oh, okay. suspended. So, yeah, he was my assistant coach, and I got suspended for, I believe, a couple games. And and how does one get suspended as a coach? I imagine there was some uh, anger involved. Yeah, it has something to do with, like, the refing. I remember one night, funny story. The guys love this. This this. I, I can't remember if that's the year. It might have been that's the year it happened, but uh, – um, we were playing Laredo and the full-fledged brawl break, breaks out. Jason Baird in the penalty box gets in a scrap with um, one of Laredo's tough guys, big, big tough guy. And uh, then the goaltenders get into it. And, you know, I, I was a little heated. Likely shouldn't have been as heated as I at times as a coach. But we're all pretty competitive. And yep. you got Roscoe on the other bench with Laredo, Terry Roskowski. And I ended up, uh, you know, it just happened. A funny part of the story was the referee wouldn't come over, wouldn't come over. So, you know, I... I just kind of picked the water bottle up and flung it across the ice at him while he was over by the penalty box and it landed right at his feet. And then I just happened to look next thing. There's another water bottle sitting there. So I flung it. Every time I turned around, there's another water bottle. So Ryan Carter was on my team. As I was throwing him, he was setting another one up on top of the board. <laughs> and I just kept, so I don't know how many of them, five or six went onto the ice at the ref, but that was the boys love that one, eh? Like, Karts was just setting them up, teeing them up for me, and I just grabbed them all in one motion. So I think that might have been where the two-game suspension came from, likely. Well, at least you got your money's worth. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How does the job come about where you end up coaching one of the most storied franchises in the history of the sport? Forget about junior hockey. Forget about the OHL. In the history of hockey, the Peterborough Peets, they are one of those franchises where I guess it's a dream job uh, to become the head coach. How did you end up there? Well, I'd been, I, you're always looking as a coach, right? And and that's the one thing, you know, when you're coaching, you want to move on to the next level. You want to move to a higher level. So I'd looked at some other opportunities, you know, assistance in the American league and everything like that. And, and you, you know, you got to take care of your family too. And I just, I'd interviewed, you know, for this job in, in, in Peterborough, Jeff Tui, great, great general manager forever with the Pete's. And um, just great, great individual. And, you know, I, I think a lot of it is your, you know, the stuff you did in the past, obviously it worked closely with Brent Hughes. who would have, you know, it was a good reference, Dave Tippett, I think. So I learned the game from a couple really good guys. And, you know, I always say who I played for as well, like the Mark Crawfords and the Pat Burns and guys like that. You take a little bit out of stuff from each of those guys when you're playing for them. And I kind of moved that towards, you know, my coaching, you know, style, I guess it would be. And, you know, ended up interviewing with Jeff and went down to the wire and ended up getting the job. And uh, like I said, so it's a long move from 
from <laughs> from Texas all the way to, to Peterborough, that's for sure. And uh, you had an assistant coach there, someone that I've been very friendly with. He's been a friend for a long time, uh, Ryan Barnes, uh, who's d- gone on to become a very successful player agent right now. Uh, but this was a few years ago. Ryan Barnes just recently retiring. Uh, what kind of a what kind of an assistant coach? Uh, what kind of wingman was uh, Barney out there? Oh, he was a great guy. You know, Barnesy was great. We interviewed a lot of guys, and obviously Jeff was in on the interviews as well. And we went through all this. Wanted a guy that was going to come in and work and, and work hard and be a good guy. And, and obviously, you know, Barnesy came in and he he was great to work with. Like I said, he worked really hard. He was he just loved the game and he put in the time and. And, um, you know, did we have to be at the rink every day at 7.30, 8 o'clock and start doing videos? So I didn't know, but yeah. you did what you did to try and improve your team. And um, great guy to work with. Yeah, good guy. Now, I did ask him if he had any good good uh, Ken McRae stories. He said he really didn't. He said, you know, at that point you're coaching. Uh, you have to be professional, things like that. But he did say that. He did say to tell you hello. He also said you may have a good story or two about coaching Zach Cassian. Yeah, Cass, Cass was a, he was a character. He, he's a, he was a tough, tough, tough man. He was almost like we called him the man child then because he was, that's how he was on the ice with some of these, some of these other junior players. But, you know, and, and, and Cass has got things turned around now, but he liked to have fun back in the days. And yeah, we had, uh, we, we did made a few curfew calls and maybe caught Zach, you know, <laughs> escaping through the window of the basement apartment or basement house that he was living in and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, he was always a he was always a gamer. I love coaching a guy like him. You go through the wall for you, and like I said, he was he was he was tough, and he he could play the game. Uh, I did ask uh, Ryan about Tony Romano, and and uh, obviously Ryan knows the kind of player I appreciate. He goes, "Well, he's not your kind of player," uh, but I had to ask him because he's a Long Island kid. So, uh, what was what was uh, what kind of player was Tony? Romo was a, he was a, he was a, he wasn't your type of player. You're right. But he, you know, he could turn a game around if he wanted to, like yeah. he was fast. I remember just being fast, not the greatest defensively and not, maybe not as intense sometimes, but when he wanted to get up and go, he could, you know, he could get up and go. And uh, like I said, he, he was, he, he, he could score and put the puck in the net. There's no doubt about it. So, but unbelievable kid. Like, I don't know if you know him, but he, so, you know, just a nice kid. Yeah. I, that's what I remember. Very polite, nice kid, always asking questions, um, you know, no issues with him. No, and he may not be my type of player on the ice, but an Italian kid from Long Island is always someone I'm going to root for. So that's uh, that's why I had to <laughs> ask about him. At 100%, you know, uh, the Paisanos, I'm always in their corner, and uh, especially when they're local uh, from over here. So yeah. um, so I saw that you coached the, uh, the Pee Wee team. After Peterborough, you uh, you got to coach in that Quebec City tournament. What was that experience like? Because a lot of guys I interview actually played in it, but now you get to be the coach, and really you're taking these kids to a tournament that might be the highlight of their career. And and even guys that I've interviewed that went on to play pro always have fond memories of this tournament. Oh yeah, I never played in it, and I hadn't been back to Quebec since I had played in Quebec. Uh, um, so I, it was my son's team, and I was just uh, helping coach with a, a buddy of mine as an assistant coach. And, yeah, a great experience. It was more about the kids and just to, you know, to go there and to be catered the way they were catered, you know, 
you know, come bust to the rink, bust back out, go, you know, go to the ski hills, do some tubing, come back, play. And just to see the, the different countries that all play in that tournament and the level of play was phenomenal. And we had a pretty good team in, in, in Peterborough here and we ended up losing by, I think it was one goal to the team that ended up, uh, I think they won it all that year. But um, just a great experience. Like I said, it was my first time back to Quebec. So it was a little bit special seeing some of the the old the old people around that I'd run into. And, of course, the reporters are still there. Even though it's a peewee tournament, yeah. the same reporters are there that did the Nordique. So, <laughs> yeah, they hit you up for an interview, the, uh, an interview in the French paper. So, um, but, yeah, I, I like I said, I wish I would have been able to play in that tournament. But what an experience those kids get year in and year out going to that tournament. Uh, did they still do? I know one of the things the guys always talk about that that actually they used to do hockey cards of the players. Did they still do the hockey cards for the kids? Yeah, they were doing them back then. I don't know if they still do them. Yeah, and then they trade them all. Yeah, the guys would trade them, and they have the pins like pins from every organization. So yeah, guys are walking around. It was you know that's what made it kind of cool for the players, the young kids going around meeting kids from Russia and Finland and trading pins and cards and everything like that. So um, I didn't see you coaching anywhere after that. What have you been up to in the last 10, 12 years? Well, I work uh, with Chorus Entertainment now in, uh, in TV, radio, and digital sales So um, in Peterborough here. So a couple of uh, television stations, radio stations. So I get into that, um, took a turn. I just, you know, I after the Pete's, uh, you know, I looked at some other options and didn't work out. And kind of was at that time where, you know what, enough moving the family around and moving from here to there. And, um, got in and started doing some skill work with the with the minor hockey organizations for a few years, just helping out that way and doing that stuff, and and then you know working uh, working for chorus. So still doing that. Um, you know I don't get on the ice as much anymore as I used to. Uh, just had knee surgery last Wednesday, I guess it was on some cleaning up some old injuries, and so I haven't been on the ice much lately. But I still help coach my. Uh, my partner's, uh, my stepson, my partner's son, and help coach that. So still get to the rink. I saw that you played, uh, you played for the Leafs alumni, don't you? Yeah, I played a few, yeah, played for the Leafs alumni a few times. I played in, uh, you know, some charity tournaments for the uh, Hockey uh, hockey Helps the Homeless uh, with the NHL alumni. So I will get out and play a little bit of those uh, once I get healthy. Hopefully, again, I can get back out there. But uh um, yeah, it's it's good to see those guys too. That's the one good thing. Like we always say this, and you like you know, Joel, you could go to war with a guy one night and then be drinking beers with them an hour later. And yep. and the fun thing about being a hockey player is, you know, when I go to the alumni with the Leafs, I played a short time with the Leafs. Yeah. But when I go and run into Wendell and Dougie and Dave Ellett, Dave McElwain, all these guys, it's like you just seen them yesterday, yep. and you talk, start talking give the guy a hug, shake his hand, whatever. And it, the stories start flowing. Right. And that's what I, that's what I still like. Yeah. You miss it a lot. That's what you miss about the locker room. But like I said, it, you wish you could have a reunion with all the teams you played on once every four or five or 10 years, just to get back and hear the stories. Right. But that's what hockey is a special sport. Well, it would be amazing if Quebec ever gets an NHL team again, and then maybe, do an outdoor game against Montreal and then have the old Nordiques back to get, uh, get an alumni game. That would be pretty, you know, have an old Nordiques uh, versus Canadians alumni game. That would be pretty special. Oh, it would be pretty special. It'd be pretty funny. Like, like I said, we had a lot of characters on those Quebec teams, Mario Marois. Like I can remember some guys. It'd be, it'd be funny to get a lot of those guys out and just see them again. Right. Michelle Goulet and 
and and stuff like that. But yeah, that would be a that'd be a once in a lifetime thing. Unfortunately, I don't know if the NHL will ever get back to Quebec. Uh, that's yeah, that's a tough one. We'd love to see it. It should be there. No, I, I I think Gary Bettman's more interested in having the the Coyotes play in a five thousand seat college arena. But that's that's a story for another podcast. Yeah. But you know, <laughs> well, Kenny Trigger Greasy Spoon. Mac, wait, hold on. Let me look. I don't see Kevin McClelland around here. Yeah. Uh, Big Mac, uh, I just want to thank you uh, for your time. Uh, this has been a lot of fun for me. It's really been great getting to know you. I've obviously been a fan of yours uh, for a long time, but we've never really had the opportunity to chat. Uh, so I want to thank you for your time. And uh, the last question I always ask everybody is, um, did I forget to ask you anything that you'd like to have out there? No, I don't think so. I think you covered it all. Some amazing research, Joe, by you for sure. Uh, like I said, it's it. You know, you'd love to remember everything you brought up to me, uh, every story. But uh, as hockey players, we 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 got beat up a lot and got nailed in the head a few times. So we don't. I think we have selective memory, right? So, <laughs> but if I hopefully I didn't miss a whole lot. Hopefully, it, you can edit this into something uh, interesting and and go from there. But I appreciate it. Well, it's definitely interesting, and and once again, I I just want to thank you, and uh, I I hope you get a full recovery from your knee surgery, and just wish you happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays to you, for sure. Merry Christmas. Thanks, Ken. You too. Talk to you soon. Thanks. All right, bye.